So welcome once again to the uh, Coffee and Heroes podcast. Uh, once again with your host Alan. Uh, time now for our weekly review show. Uh, it is coming to a day later than planned due to family commitments uh, across the water. Uh, I was joined on that voyage by Vicky. Uh, not with us though was Keith. And Roddy. Roddy instead was running the store this weekend. Oh yeah, it was brilliant. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Um, fantastic. Got to meet loads of regulars. Really had a great time. Probably messed up the till. Definitely messed yeah. up the till. <laughs> Sorry, it's Roddy, okay. it's easily done. But I I've mean, done it several times. I didn't mess up the customer service, so well, that's, that's the all that matters. Yeah. I did particularly enjoy the uh, the second phone call I got. I was like, "Hello, you okay?" I was like. Price check, please, on a long box. <laughs> <laughs> that was... Uh, quite, oh, I forgot about that, actually. That was quite yeah, charming. Yeah. Uh, the other one was, I'm really sorry. I think I've messed the till up. <laughs> How do I avoid this? Just cash it off, Roddy. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. No, no, he did a he did a fantastic job. Um, even though he said to me he thought it was quite quiet, takings for the day were quite good. Um, a lot of people left happy. So, no, I think yes. we may invite him back to do it again when we desperately need a holiday. Plus, the, um, all the cups were in the right order as well. The so. cups were in the right mm. order, but he says, he, well, he put that down to not making very many coffees. And then I came in and there was a complete empty milk carton plus half another empty one and a ton of pods in the machines. And I was thinking, <laughs> well, what's not a lot of coffee? They were all for me. <laughs> suddenly makes sense. You know, your cup was the one in the weirdest spot yeah. when I came back, admittedly. I think, did I not put a cup in a different place to try and mess with you maybe you haven't oh, found no that i'm out. thinking oh. that. <laughs> <laughs> uh andy and i talked about uh trying to mess with you to see if you would notice must have been a quieter day than you thought uh. <laughs> <laughs> were you and andy just sitting hatching plans all day you know by the well, sun maybe yeah. Yeah. yeah no i came in as i say yeah. i was i was really indebted to Roddy for running the store that just allowed vicky and i to go over and uh see the other folks yeah, it was good to see the family, catch up with the, the wee nephews and meet the new pop as well. So it was it was good to catch up and managed to have my uncle come down and see us as well. He made amazing cream horns and Eccles cake, so big up for that. It was great. It was Alan even I think had a couple of extra of them, so <laughs> Sorry, it doesn't show. Stop giving that away. Well, you know, that one run home today. <laughs> Back in shape now, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Marathon training officially begun. Um, what about yourself, Keith? How's your weekend? Uh, I was all over the country. Um, you never sit still, do you, for very long? Not, not really. Not really, except whenever I'm reading. Um, and doing the podcast. And doing the podcast. Yeah, that's it. That's this is the whole the whole reason for doing it. So I sit still for two hours. Uh, yeah. So uh, down to Belfast to Dublin on Friday evening on the train, uh, and then uh, Saturday morning. Uh, headed from Dublin to Waterford, then on to Cork, then out to West Cork, then back to Cork, then uh, back to Belfast yesterday. So yeah, been uh, doing a bit of uh, visiting the in-laws myself. Yeah, so yeah, so I'm kind of jealous of Roddy though. Uh, so you've now run the new store. I've not yet had the pleasure. <laughs> ah, you're the only person I'm, to run the new store aside from us. Yeah, very good. Well, I never had the opportunity to run the old one. Which one? So the old two, <laughs> yeah. either of them. I'm sure, the last time I ran it, did you not spend like half the time there with me? So well, <laughs> I think I made a coffee and cleared some tables, <laughs> and that was about it. But. Yeah, I, I agree, Crack. Love meeting. Although I love meeting like a lot of regulars, but there's quite a lot of... Uh, where's Alan? 
I was like, oh, 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 oh okay, that's fine. Well, it's nice that I missed. I think it's yeah. I think I was obviously went for a bit of humor there, but yeah, that's a, it. Just shows like you killed him and ate him. Yeah. <laughs> you killed him and ate him. Yeah. <laughs> We're just like, look, Alan may be good, but did he write this? <laughs> and then just pull up one of your books and be like, I did. Yeah, but it just um, just shows the kind of community you guys have created in there, you know. But we did notice that um, one of your books was up on the easel. On that was that was nice. <laughs> did you like it? Back of the yeah. counter. Oh, yeah. So yeah, and <laughs> first you had thing your you wee- see when you walk in. And the wee pile of uh, your comics yeah. next to the Star Wars ones. I'm surprised you didn't take the Star Wars out and put them in there, like <laughs> yeah. sort of showcase yeah. it all. I also noticed some uh, sellotape marks on the door, roughly in the size of an issue. I'm convinced that he just had like Tales of Fractured World <laughs> sellotape to the door. Stuck to the window. Stuck to every other <laughs> issue. As soon as you walk in. I did notice him move around our podcast recommendations. I did notice it. Ah, yeah, see, I've been busy. I was busy. Because <laughs> quite, quite a lot sold on the wall. Mm-hmm. So I got to replace. Oh, I noticed the variants being replaced. Got to replace the variants. And then uh, I think a regular called Chris bought a few. Um, few variants from the other wall the mm-hmm. left hand wall so he, he got a lot of venom stuff so i was like "Ooh, get to get to play around here <laughs> oh he was so desperate to impress oh well <laughs> you impressed congratulations yes. sir. you, you will you will be invited back to uh to run the story again hopefully <laughs> so are we gonna cool. take a week off next then uh so on to <laughs> news and uh <laughs> other bits and pieces i can't my public needs me you know that Roddy be crying after a couple of days. They need both we, of us. We need some. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> no, we don't. Well, I don't because I just burn. You you may tan, but I just burn. Um, yeah, so just before we jump into the comics itself, we just had a few wee bits and bobs. I always like to sort of look around the entertainment world, the comics world, see any news that uh, popped up. Uh, the main one I'm personally excited about, uh, they officially started shooting The Batman. Um, under the everyone keeps referring to it as Batman began the other day, uh, which is maybe not the best idea. You might be messing up some stuff there. Uh, I mean, I'm excited for this Batman movie. I have to say, I think the casting's really interesting. I think Matt Reeves is making all the right noises. Senny just wants to make a good detective story. He just wants to bring it back to sort of Batman hiding in the shadows. It's not going to be a you know save the world four color type movie because that's not really what Batman should be. Um. But yeah, I think the casting's spot on. I think they're filming a lot of it in Glasgow, am I right? Yeah, I believe so. Glasgow, Glasgow. that would make a dark, rainy Gotham, wouldn't it? It would definitely. <laughs> I mean, we're waiting for them to come over to Belfast, I tell you. Uh, no problems there whatsoever. Yeah, if it's good enough for Sons of Anarchy, it's good enough for Batman Began. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the unofficial working title. <laughs> uh yeah, so looking forward to that. Probably start seeing some set photos from that. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people, like, I'm desperate to know information about it, but at the same time, I'm happy if I don't see information about it. So I hate having everything spoiled in advance. Yeah, so it's, I, I'm the same. I You kind of want to see it, but at the end of the day, a set photo is not going to do it justice, is it? Yeah, whether it's, but, you know, what the new Batmobile looks like or the suit or what the characters look like. So I'm, I don't know. I, I like to get an early sense of what it's going to look like, but after that, I tend to... Step away. When's the release date for that? 2021. So you're a long time away. Well. A uh, year and a half minimum. So, uh, no, in terms of movies coming up this year, it's it's a slightly more barren year, I think. Uh, the next big one, which I know Keith cannot wait for, is uh, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Zero interest. <laughs> when, oh, when's that out? It's out so. on February 7th, I think. 
Next hey, week, a couple of weeks yeah. away. Yeah, it's it's something I'm sort of on board with, Keith. I have very little interest in it, but the early reviews coming out are painting it as something of a success story. So cool. again, you don't know yeah. how tainted those preview screenings are. They may be all employees of you know the company <laughs> that funded it, but you know it's always better to hear that rather than oh, there's trouble at screenings and oh, this is last minute research, you know, X Men style or well, Fox X Men style, I should say. Uh, so no, I'll I'll give it a go and we'll see because I know people then, always then ask. There's a uh, Black Widow. Black as well, Widow, which I I'm quite looking forward to. Yeah, I, I like yeah. Um, Scarlett Johansson uh, in the role of Black Widow. So obviously we've had dying in Endgame. Spoilers. If people don't know by now, then your mum and dad didn't know until two days ago when we watched it. Yeah, but I don't ever <laughs> see them listening to our podcast. I'm very disappointed in you, Pete and Ross. Very disappointed. <laughs> but obviously, like. It was a shame to see her that she's not going to be in that current sort of going forward. Well, in no, I mean, you know that in comics, death oh, doesn't I know really that. stick yeah. very often. Death is temporary. Oh. As they say. And yeah. as we saw in Jane Foster's Valkyrie last, last week, death sometimes dies and comes back. <laughs> Fair enough. But now, Black Widow, I think, looks good as well, but I just think it's it's weirdly timed i think it should have come out in that winter soldier era you're right yeah it really yep. would have fit in nicely rather than she's dead but look what she did when she was alive it's 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 odd placement but again i'll be there opening weekend i would say and then the other big one that i can think of anyway well i suppose there's two other big ones one we know very little about which is eternals uh which there's been some noises coming out of in the past week saying that this is like the biggest risk of all of them uh even more so than guardians i'd say it's i mean even as a as a Marvel fan, I don't know a terrible lot about the Eternals. I've read the uh, Neil Gaiman run on it. Yeah, and that's that's about all my knowledge. Yeah. Are you yeah. the biggest Eternals, you know, <laughs> aficionado here? If you're talking about the pop band from the nineties, <laughs> then yeah, Eternal. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it could be. If I know more about the Eternals than Mister Marvel, that's yeah, that's uh, impressive. I'd be worried. He's starting to think about his knowledge. Now he's like, "Hold on a second here. I'm not liking this." Um, I just, I don't. It's not the sort of thing I've I've ever. That sort of uh, Jack Kirby sort of uh, more cosmic side, celestial type stuff, weirdness, sort of passed me by a wee bit, and I never really, I never really get into it. Though it does feature the Black Knight, who is a bit of a favorite of mine. Yeah, uh, as a as a Marvel character, so that'll be. And I think it's your man from uh, Game of Thrones. Yep. Yeah, John Kit, Har- Kit Harrington. Uh, Kit Harrington, yes. Yeah, I mean, it's nice to, I think, go towards a movie like that, knowing next to nothing about the characters as well, because that's what Guardians was for me. You know, I knew nothing about any of the characters really going in, then it was a pleasant surprise. And then the last one, obviously, this year will be Wonder Woman 84, which first trailer looked good, and now I'm out, uh, not looking at any trailers, not looking at anything else. Yep. Happy enough to wait for that, so. Cool. Uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing The Lighthouse next week uh, with aforementioned Batman, Robert Pattinson, and Willem Dafoe. And Green Goblin, Green Goblin yeah. himself. So looking forward to that. Uh, horror from Robert Eggers, who did The Witch. Oh, that scared the bejeebies out of me the other week. So, Because mm. you're on a Puritan kick, weren't you? That sounds a bit weird. Just really enjoying Puritanism at the minute, you know, just... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, looking forward to that. And there's also, took me by surprise, there's a G.I. Joe movie coming out this year. Really? Snake Eyes, yeah. Is it related to the previous movies of any kind? Or I think it's in the similar vein to Bumblebee, where it's just... Those other ones forget exist, everything. but yeah. 
but, but I notice you don't have a bumblebee tattoo. No. So yeah. G.I. Joe tattoo? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Right there. Never realized what it there was. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, my lack of G.I. Joe Yeah, knowledge. I'll need to, need to finish up the old arm soon. But unrelated to that, um, <laughs> Top Gun as well. Not really comic-y, but looking forward to it. I haven't even it. watched the trailer yet. I've watched the first trailer, and again, that's enough for me. I understand there's been a second one, and I'm told it's awesome, but again, I, I've seen the first. It's Tom Cruise, it's Top Gun, and they're on the weekend. It's fine. If, if it's anything like the original Top Gun, like cheesy, just... Yeah, cheesy, switch your brain yep. off, great visuals. Awesome music, hopefully. Great soundtrack. Avoiding the trailer because you're in the danger zone for spoilers. Oh, mm. Thank you very much for listening to our <laughs> podcast and good night. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and then you, I believe you watched another trailer just before we started here. I did. Mortal Kombat. <laughs> what is a really weird title? Mortal Kombat. Scorpions. No, there's, it's Mortal Kombat. There's something in between. A is colon. It? Yeah, it's like Mortal Kombat something. Scorpions Revenge. It looked so, all right looked until he got yeah. a really bad here's Johnny line in it yeah. from Johnny Blaze. But, but then again, he's American cheeseball character. So yeah, the animation looked good anyway. So oh, it's an animated movie. Yeah, it reminded me of the, didn't they have a cartoon series in the early 2000s or late 90s, yeah. you know? Yeah, it had pretty much everyone that you can think of from Mortal Kombat in the trailer anyway. Because saw Reptile and all those kind of good ones, Goro. So yeah, it looks it looks really cool. It's a whoever the Bruce Lee ripoff is. Uh, what do you call one. him? Yeah, can't remember his yeah. name. Um, Go on. But yeah, anyway, looks looks really good. Straight to DVD, animated movie. So not like an ex Netflix mm. special or anything, you know. So yeah. Uh, any word in the previous books yet? The previous books just arrived uh, this very day. Uh, so obviously the previous books will be in store for anybody who wants to have a flick through. We will be. Uh, doing our own previous podcast hopefully sometime the next week with our own recommendations some good stuff in there uh, I must say I'm, it's a it's a week where I think or a month I should say where indie books are probably going to dominate my recommendations sorry Roddy mm. stealing it from you interesting <laughs> taking it from you yeah uh, it looks like a big big month doesn't it well I think image of you know sort of step back you know we obviously we talk about boom all the time and what great stuff they're doing Obviously, with Decorum last month from Hickman, but now it seems all the other big creators are following suit. Karen Gillan has a new book in there. Matt Fraction has a new book in there. Um, you've got Neil Bider returning. You've got that's a big one for you, isn't it? Oh, I'm a massive fan of Neil Bider. That didn't. That is a series I never expected to come back. That's Joshua Williamson still. Joshua yeah. Williamson and Mike Henderson on art. I'll really, really look forward to that. Uh, I mean, DC for me. There's a couple of 80th celebration anthologies I look forward to because there's good creators involved, one on the Joker and one on Catwoman. Outside of that, nothing really grabbed me. Uh, Marvel, some good stuff in Marvel as well. Um, they're leaning very heavily on Black Widow, as to be expected around the movie. And what is that? Is that for March, April? Uh, that will be the, yes, so the order's due in February, so that'll be the April releases. Okay. So. So yeah, um, we'll we'll get on that soon. And speaking of uh, indie labels, we've got a trouble at IDW, mm. Roddy. Well, trouble from about a year ago. You know, uh, comic book labels are notoriously sort of private. You don't really know what's going on with them. But IDW, we just noticed a headline said IDW loses twenty six point four million in two thousand nineteen. But that that isn't just the comic. It's uh, involves the movies. Can't remember what the 
the actual company is called. It's like IDW Multimedia or whatever. Right. But like the movies, they have a games line as well, board game line. So overall, they lost twenty six point four million. But uh, IDW Publishing specifically, five, yeah, five point two was it? Five point two, yeah. Um, uh, it's IDW Media Holdings. So, but the good thing is they've the CEO Hard Jones. Hard Jonas uh, suggested the it's going to turn around by 2021. So yeah, it's a bit of a strange one. You don't really see. You don't really get much like Marvel or DC company stuff like that. But suppose they're both companies. I mean, it's a terrible thing for us to say, given our love of the medium. But they they make their money through merchandising. They make their money mm-hmm. through other multimedia. Um, I think comics were always seen as sort of the cheaper way of them keeping it in the public consciousness mm-hmm. uh, obviously we you know enjoy that industry more than most but they make a lot of their money through merchandising and stuff like that i would say although with idw what's interesting is there is going to be two new netflix shows based on idw properties there's one coming soon october faction october faction is already out oh is it yeah just no no fanfare, just like appeared, you know, one is it day. On Netflix, is it already? Yeah, last Friday, I think. Oh, yeah. that's the gist of it. It's a Steve Niles book, I believe. It's quite, um, you know, Steve Niles of Thirty Days of Night. Days of Night. It's about. It's basically, I think, it's an Adams Family sort of type thing, but proper horror. Yeah, uh, I'm not too. Horror. I'm not too familiar with it myself. So Adams but Family, but not so cookie and creepy. Mm. <laughs> and then in a couple of weeks you've got Lock and Key launching based on IDW property as well Yeah, uh, I think they have another one V-Wars as well Something V-Wars I think yeah. it's launched as well So oh, there's one of the guys from Supernatural not in it uh, no I think it's a guy from I know he was in Lost uh, he was oh god what's, I can't even remember the guy's name he's also in the movie Rules of Attraction uh, but yeah V-Wars they've been pushing at the back of their their comics there's been adverts for and stuff like that so uh, I just genuinely can't remember his name Roddy furiously flicks through his phone trying to save me oh no I was looking at something else oh I thought you were saving me there (laughs) oh I don't know I thought there was teamwork in this you know there's no I in team just because there's three eyes and winging it doesn't mean that there's uh, (laughs) in team but uh, yeah the the guy's name just escapes me for now but I'm gonna have to actually uh, in Summer, Summer Halder. Oh, yeah, yeah, Desmond? Yeah, yeah. No. Is he Desmond? No, no, no. no. What's the Desmond's brother? Name? He was the brother in the first season. Shannon uh, and Boone? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Boone. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah, so yeah. he's the main guy of the B Wars. Ah, right, right. So, uh, I mean, he looks kind of like one of the guys from Supernatural. <laughs> <laughs> Would that be fair? That was a very long tangent just to find out that guy's name. Yeah, it was. <laughs> so, IDW you know bit bit of gray skies but it's gonna turn around i think by 2021 that's what we're going for henry ian cusack is desmond the greatest character in lost (laughs) if you ask me as i look up imdb and see i give lost a 10 out of 10 rating deserves 11 uh yeah so that was the idw recent troubles Uh, anybody seen picard yet it uh, launched on amazon prime this week they're doing it the same way as they did discovery so it's not no they're not bingy that's they're releasing one episode a week i'm digging the week by week stuff yeah it's easier to keep up with it keeps you in consciousness of it yeah (laughs) it keeps you honest but like for me witcher i watched the witcher but it was it was gone like Nobody was talking. Nobody was talking about it. Like it's like there's weird. always another big thing on yeah. the horizon, isn't it? I haven't finished it yet. I haven't oh, started it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but 
with this and I think with the Mandalorian as well, which we've heard good things about, it was week to week stuff. So it was always, you know, and uh, Watchmen as well for me. Yeah. But it was always on your week, mind, yeah. like every Monday. And I really liked there was a nice real throwback to that actually the, uh, watching TV. It, yeah. Uh-huh. And um, I was the same with Discovery sort of the last couple of years. It was it was the same deal. You were like, well, Discovery's on Sunday night. Great. Okay. <laughs> so this is a prequel. I don't know much about Star no, Trek. it is a sequel. To uh, the next generation? To the the next generation, yeah. And, You're not doing too bad Voyager so far. And oh, that whole era. So um, I could so just jump in and watch it if I really wanted? Yeah, it's some years after Picard has retired from uh, Starfleet. And uh, I haven't watched the first episode yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I was away all weekend. Uh, I didn't have the opportunity. I am hoping I might get the opportunity tonight whenever we finish recording because I'm really, really <laughs> looking forward to it. I mean, <laughs> That's what you think. Okay, uh, bye. <laughs> see ya. Uh, so, I mean, Jean-Luc Picard is probably one of my favorite characters in fiction. Uh, oh, wow. As, mm-hmm. as played by Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it's uh, it's a no-brainer to make a series, you know, given the success of Discovery about him and... I know we're going to see a lot of the old favourites in there as well. Um, I think we're going to see Riker in there. I know we're going to see Data. I think we're going to see uh, uh, Seven of Nine. You know, so I think there's going to be a few of the the, the golden oldies in there. So I'm really looking cool. forward to to seeing how that progresses. And I mean, if it's up to the same standard as Discovery, we're in we're in good shape. Yeah, I think they announced the season two of it even before season one started. Oh, so there was a fantastic video of uh, there's a show in America. Uh, uh, a daytime show um i can't remember what it's what it's called it was uh, it's, it's a daytime show anyway but patrick stewart was on it with whoopi goldberg and he officially invited whoopi goldberg to be part of season two of picard <laughs> and the reaction was fantastic her reaction was fantastic you know because she she uh, professes that her time in the next generation as Guinan was was one of the high points of her entire career so and they're old friends you know from that so it was really lovely to see so yeah, I don't think it's too much uh-huh. of it. You know, I don't know how that'll that'll feature. Guinan was uh, an Elorian, uh, so she's a very very long lived species with a connection to the time stream and all sorts of stuff. So, uh, so yeah, looking forward to to that. And I haven't even seen the first episode of the first season yet. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me Class. season two now. I mean, speaking of big reactions, I mean the reaction when Edge came back at the Royal oh. Rumble. Wow, <laughs> goosebumps! Uh, no, I might goosebumps. <laughs> You can go watch your first episode. <laughs> While I talk about the Royal Rumble, thanks to Absolutely minutes. ripped, isn't he? For a 47-year-old man, he's not looking too bad. Um, no, I'm not going to jump into a whole big wrestling thing. Now. I can see Keith's interest fading by the second. Uh, but Royal Rumble was awesome. Uh, there's plenty of wrestling fans in the store as well, so I'm sure we'll chat more about that in there. I suppose we were talking about play acting, so... Exactly, you know, I... Well, that's the thing, you sound like my father, my God. Even when I was growing up, my dad was like that, you know, it's all fake, don't you? So are movies and TV shows, but you still watch them and enjoy them, you know what I mean? Anyway, we'll move away from uh, make-believe fighting and go into make-believe worlds instead, and we're better to start them with Roddy's first pick. That's a very impressive segue. I thought that was pretty seamless. Anyway, my segue is into our picks of the week, and we're going to kick off with Roddy. Cool. Um, So, sorry, Marvel, who have picked for the last couple of weeks, I believe. You've been a big Marvel fan the past couple of weeks, haven't you? Yeah, what was it? 
can't remember. Gone completely blank. <laughs> <laughs> Did I have a bit of Serpent War? Uh, I so. See, I get them. I sometimes get them mixed up because everything is so close sometimes too, too yeah. many um honorable Cause mentions I, yeah because <laughs> i thought i had amazing spider-man then keith was like no that was that was, that me. was me yeah that was me. did i have I had, um, oh i had jessica jones yes did i have i think i had dr strange one week yeah um talked about thor which wasn't my pick but i'm trying to think what was last week I don't know. It Maybe was um, it Iron Man 2020. Yes, that's what it was. Yeah. At least someone around here is paying attention. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not just winging it all the time. So what's your non-Marvel so pick? So this one. Yeah, so we're going to go back to Boom. And this one is Folklords number three. Matt Kint, Matt Smith, Chris O'Halloran on colours, and Jim Campbell on letters. Uh, I adored this book. I thought... Two wasn't. I thought the first one was like this amazing premise and just grabbed you. Uh, two sort of, you know, took a wee. I didn't think it was the quality was as strong, but I think with three, it certainly captures everything I loved about the first one. So, so basically, join join back up with folklords. Um, uh, our main character Ansel wakes up in not to be confused with, with Hansel. Ansel. Yeah, uh, so he wakes up in a house and eventually realizes it is the gingerbread house of Hansel and Gretel fame. Um, but it's just a really funny issue. Um, so he basically is tied, tied in the basement and soon learns that all is not right with Hansel and Gretel. That they're, Understatement right they're there. a bit weird. They're a bit creepy. They're a bit murdery. Yeah. Is that not what happens when you just eat? Bowls of sweets, candy. That's a it's a lesson to children, everyone, <laughs> especially children that listen to this podcast. <laughs> Eat more vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, um, so it goes on. There's it's not like a really a vast, you know, story. It's very tight and intricate, and it's not there's there's lore, but it's not high brow lore, if that makes sense. Um, so as the story goes on, we sort of learn that Hansel is a bit of a monster. He's been turned into a monster because he's eaten so much candy. <laughs> and should just say, I'm just going to spoil it. And this is a spoiler filled podcast and everyone should do that by now. But <laughs> it was like, nobody said it. So as the book goes on, yeah. As the book goes on, Matt Smith's <laughs> art is just fantastic. I love, there's a simplicity to it. Um, it's very, it's fanciful, but it's not, it's never like twee or It's never quaint. childish. Yeah, and I love um, Chris O'Halloran's colors really just make it pop. And it feels, it certainly feels from another world. And I got to give a shout out to Jim Campbell on letters on this one, because they do the handwritten style really well and actually make it readable you know sometimes where you read the joined up writing in a in a book you're like what does that say and then you take about 20 minutes to read it um i, I really um, enjoyed Kil this philadelphia i found in last issue two i found it really hard to read and yeah. i was just like looking at it going what does it actually say <laughs> like, i'm literally sitting there yeah. for five minutes going Alan, what's this? What's this? I basically have Alan read it to me. Because it's a really cool effect <laughs> when it's... Giving away how we read our comics. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. But yeah, it's a really cool effect when it's used, but sometimes it's... I don't know, it's maybe too overused. Squished. Yeah, too squished in. 
but the the way that um, Hansel's like face has been drawn <laughs> as well is kind of kept reminding me of Pennywise. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Now you say that, yeah. I kept getting that sort of uh, that sort of vibe from it because I thought um, in this one it had everything. Everything sort of came back. There was a lot of humor in it, but there was, you know, it still had. There's definitely a darkness. There's the, yeah, the darkness too. There's a really, there's a lot of, um, there's jeopardy, and it certainly, certainly feels like Ansel is in a bit of trouble. The first page is eight panels showing different kinds of torture. I thought that was really dark, <laughs> <laughs> and her and pretty pictures of who they've tortured and how they've tortured people. Yeah, I should say I loved that. There was something I love that darkness. I loved it and those torture <laughs> methods. But yeah. Oh. Um, Towards the end, he Ansel meets up with is it ugly? They call him her, I think. Or her, um, who he meets in the second issue, <laughs> and he or he or she, I think it's she, sort of rescues Ansel and then kind of brutally burns down the gingerbread house. Um, better get far away. Fumes from this place will probably be dangerous, and. We're sort of told that Archer, who was with, who ran away with Ansel to find the folk lords, has sold him out. And this is when she's told, she tells Ansel that he's got to go by himself, basically, to find the folk lords and to figure out his visions. But he, in the gingerbread house, he finds a book, which, speaking of darkness, um, What's the book called? The book is called. Oh, what do you call uh, it? It's torture it's devices, and there are many uses. Yeah. Many uses, yeah. <laughs> and it's taken from the Forbidden Library. Ah. So, but yeah, um, and the sort of weird narration continues, and I, f- I thought this one was really interesting. Towards the end, it was like talking about omnipotence and on. Om- it was really interesting because the narration just sort of waffles, but it's really interesting. It just kind of goes on a tangent and it's like, this is where I talk about the dark clouds on the horizon, but are there dark clouds? Is there impending doom? I don't know. I told you I'm not omni omniscient. Is that the right word? Omniscient. Omniscient. Yeah. If you're reading this, maybe you're the omniscient, omniscient one. You've read a lot of books. Why don't you tell me? <laughs> so this is, see, again, I think we're, I think we pulled some stuff out of the first issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, where, for example, you were talking about the lettering, but there's so much different, you know, on the first page, you open with the, you know, with the scroll once upon a time, question mark. You know, is that, <laughs> is it though? Yeah. You know, and uh, and then you've got a, you've got a, a separate, narrator he's the same person that was talking about omniscience um you know about it being a bedtime story but i swear i'm not the voice that's gonna hold your hand through this uh you know saying well i'm not i'm, I'm not that friendly narrator i'm not that individual i'm not the narrator I mean, mm-hmm. you know that voice doesn't seem to come from any character in the story well i thought maybe i don't know towards the end you do see i can't remember the girl's name from the first one that ansel has a thing for uh, the one he sort of lost his yeah. girlfriend um so she sort of reappears at the end 
but I don't think it is her. I kind of thought when I first read it, like maybe, but. And she's heading yeah. towards one of the. It's it's not necessarily the Forbidden Library, but it is a Forbidden Library, mm. the branch library of banned books. Um, but yeah, it's just interesting that again, you know, the the book starts with that that once upon a time question mark in different font and in speech marks, you know, and then it ends. Again, it doesn't end. It ends with to be continued. Just but that's <laughs> in the, but but what's interesting is it's in the same font as the non narrator mm-hmm. as well. So there's something there's there's a couple of levels of of uh, airiness uh, of depth of narration. I think. Um, I think also uh, uh, Hans and Greta are obviously analogs to Hansel and Gretel, mm-hmm. but they have a very different story. Uh, they, uh, but the story is familiar. You know, you have Hansel, Hans and Greta ran away uh, from from one of the forbidden libraries or from one of the one of the libraries anyway. So they have a a link to the to the the librarians the individual who owned the candy house isn't though isn't the wicked witch as she is in in the uh the fairy tale the um you know the original fairy tale it's sort of another a guy named Tynes who was in league with the librarians so mm-hmm. there's some really interesting changes obviously i don't I mean i don't know the, so oh, everything's like a send up but it's really interesting like they said, I think they said in the first one, it's like, oh, you know the story, but you don't know the story. Mm. So who is it that knows the original story that is telling a different story or yeah. a different version <laughs> of the story? You know what I mean? Uh, and you know, there's, there's, there's more going on as well. Obviously, uh, Hans turns into like a hunchback, horrible creature from eating the candy. We guess it's eating the candy. Uh, Greta is clearly a psychopath of some kind who's drawn pictures of really good artist though. Uh, <laughs> You know captures what, the fear really well. Yeah. You notice Hans is uh, using an electric drill as a torture device. Yes. Uh, and the only person um, who tends to have these visions of uh, of technology is Ansel. Mm-hmm. So they kind of that's kind of there, but it's not there. Uh, it, it's and then a really interesting thing in the band book was the car, the motor vehicle. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, there's that, and then ugly. Uh, this uh, the other individual that Archer and Ansel met in the first issue uh i don't know who ugly is from the fairy tales but uh who was it that followed breadcrumbs in fairy tales mm, the breadcrumbs are in hansel and gretel aren't they there are a few different follow, stories they yeah follow so them to the, the yeah, gingerbread the reason i kept thinking about the troll under the bridge for ugly is sort of what i was thinking with that character mm, i mean that's what that's what ugly says uh, just please don't say breadcrumbs breadcrumbs always lead to something really really bad yeah whether that's just a trope in fairy tales in general as you say because it's sort of the promise of sweetness or the promise of reward but you're being lured to something mm, so uh yeah the, the the character the 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 girlfriend or uh type character who seems to be tracking ansel you know finds the book finds the the ticket and says inside that says i found please return to the branch library of banned books so uh i think uh uh Hans and Greta. That's where they came from originally. Was that was that library of, of banned books if you if you look behind them uh, in their first panel and, and, and then look at the last panel, I think it's the same place. So we think the banned books is all our fairy tales? I don't know. And people but they exist in the library. Maybe they So in our li- in our yeah. libraries there exist fairy tale books. In their yeah. libraries there exist books of technology and 
things must, about our world. Must be, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's yeah. really like really exciting. Really, it's kept me guessing all this way, and yeah, the map the map expanding is really interesting too. Mm, at the back, okay. yeah, a lot a lot going on here. I think maybe a lot more than we're that we're yet than we're yet to realize. So yeah, I think that's really the really interesting thing about the book because at one part it's like a a boy is just a really small exploration, but then there's so much more, just so much more in the background of it. So much little, so many little Easter eggs of detail, like the drill and the car. Just really, really great storytelling. Yep. The way he uses the lighter, because Ugly's obviously trying to make the fire. With oh, the yeah, stars. yeah. But yeah. he just pulls out and goes, why don't we use this? Like, <laughs> it's like, where did you get this device? So, so from one fairy tale to another? Yes, so I've gone with Once in Future, um, number six, by Kieran Gillen and Dan Mora. Um, it's the end of the arc, and we obviously know from the last previews that it is continuing, So, um, which I'm looking forward to, because I like the way that um, Duncan has come very much into his own in this. Yeah, I think that's the really the, it's the, the crux of this issue, isn't it? Yeah. It's that um, he's sort of standing up to his gran as well and saying, "You should have told me about all this, and I could have handled." Shut up! You're not gonna die. Mm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he he takes charge of it, doesn't yeah. he? Which is yeah. probably what she wanted, and sort of obviously until this point, until she's obviously now telling him all of this stuff and shooting herself probably has made him realise that he needs to sort of stand up and be a man. And I think that's a, that's exactly. She says something about. You know, this heroism is tomfoolery and he goes, Grant, if you didn't want a hero, you shouldn't have raised one. Now let me do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the the art style as well is quite sort of the sort of as he's gone through the doorway into sort of what's it the sort of the castle of is it Galahad or I can't remember the way it goes through. It's got a very Castlevania vibes to it, I have to say, with the sort of you know, large church cathedral in the background, the moon mm. rising above it. Like Bath cathedral or something. I do think yeah. that this is the the issue where the art has really stepped up. It's always yeah. been a gorgeous looking book. I um, love Dan Mora. He's such a wonderful artist. I think he really, on Klaus, he really got to kind of do a lot of this before. And that really served him well doing this book. And the color, who's, who's the colorist? Is it? Tamara Bond villain, yeah. yeah, unreal, unreal. Yeah, the colours yeah. like the sort of, especially on, like Anna said, the cathedral with the, the moon or s yeah, the, the sun the coming up and different colours is just the green mm, kind the of shadow cut. and the subtle day of hue. Yeah. But yeah, fantastic stuff. It looks good. It reads well. Um, yeah, this is very much your large third act, massive <laughs> action set piece. Yeah. You know, hero embraces his uh, embraces his birthright, so to speak. Mm. Um, in doing so, meets his real mother and is denied. See, was this was this a twist? This is something as I read it. Either I had guessed that that was his mother, or they said it in an earlier issue. It was revealed. Uh, was it issue five or issue? It four? was definitely revealed yeah. earlier, wasn't? Because the way they they had it in this, it was almost like it was a big moment, but. I suppose it was more the sort of rejection of him rather well, than yeah. You know, she is so, she is so lost in the story and so needs to be part of the story that 
you know, she does not want to be his mother. She needs to be Galahad's mother. And the other guy is Galahad, you know, so... But what's great is he doesn't even let it phase him. He's just like, oh, right, raises a sword. <laughs> that's because that's because his mother figure has always been... His grandmother. His grandmother. That's why I think he's so disappointed that he she hasn't told him about it and that's why he sort of he sort of realizes he need to, like he says does need to step up. Oh, the humor though. <laughs> <laughs> a Frank has lain with my queen. <laughs> what a great insulting term for a Frenchie. Oh. <laughs> this book is so English it's unreal, <laughs> which is which is a lot of its charm, you know, but I would I would be curious to see how this book reads to like an American audience and stuff like that. You know, because it is so steeped in English mythology and English history. Uh, I'd be really curious to see, like, Americans read this, whether they would be confused almost by it or not. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there, and uh, you need to have a wee bit of a knowledge of Arthurian legend. Yeah. Uh, you know, knowing who your Galahad is and who your, uh, it's the first mention of Lancelot. Yeah. I have not heard of this warrior. He's the Frenchie who shagged your wife, you big ninny. <laughs> <laughs> Then it all goes a bit Grant Morrison-y for a yeah, while. Do you know what I noticed in this book? There's not a lot of dialogue. Do you know when you look at a book and you you kind of get the layout and see yeah. how much like white uh, white space with letters on it? You're like, this just lets Dan Moore's art and the colors breathe. Yeah, I I hadn't really realized that until you sort of just said that. But so, sort of, but that's what makes the art so good like you mm -hmm. say it pops and really sort of allows the story to be told as like a picture book which yeah is what it's very very visual book too what's well, it when you've got that big action set piece you mm -hmm. just don't want dialogue you don't need any exposition along the way here you don't need any grand statements definitely has a very indiana jonesy feel to it as well which i really yeah, enjoy yeah it does this is the bit where he um he throws is it the excalibur back yep. into the the pool um and then you just see these creepy hands coming out, out saying and it's saying you could have kept it he's like um but then obviously duncan's like no i can he, he doesn't want to sort of really keep and that's you know that you know she says you you could have kept it and he goes he goes no i couldn't you could as if to say you know over the years maybe bridget's morals have been you know, become Stretched. a wee bit more flexible with what she's seen it, and but he is the idealistic hero. You know, he's he's following the story that yeah. he's that, right and wrong. Yeah, yeah, that Excalibur was taken from the lake and had to be given back to the ladies in the lake at the end once once they were done with it, and that's the, I mean, interesting. When I got to the last couple of pages, I actually thought the giant snake attacking him was going to be the last page. I actually thought just because it was such a splash page, I thought it was like right here's your uh, here's your cliffhanger. <laughs> that's the uh, that's the hunting creature that yeah. has a belly full of dogs, isn't that right? That yeah. they, they met in the very first issue. But what I like him, obviously, his grandmother turns around to him and says, "You're in the family business now, sort of the family trade, and that you have to sort of be part of it." And he's like, "No, that I can do it. I'm not sure if I if I like want to do it for them. He, he wants to do it for himself." Now. Yeah, I think what he's saying there is. You know, she says, you know, he says, I can't do this. And she says, as you just as you say, Vicky, you're in the family trade now. You have to. And he says, no, I, I can do that. I'm not sure if I can do us. us. You yeah. know, as if to say, my, you know, you're my grand, you raised me, but you've lied to me. You've, uh, you, you haven't told me everything. 
And I don't know if clearly their trust is broken, you know. Which is fair enough. Obviously, she's not told him the truth all all the years, and then obviously, as Alan says about the big snake, um, he just well, he forgives her quickly. Well, (laughs) he's sort of like, I don't know if I can do us, and then they actually both walk off into the sunset together. And uh, I think (laughs) what's been said there uh, is that you know she says you're a sweet, sweet boy. Hold on to that for as long as you can. I think she's talking in terms of his idealism and his morals relative to hers. Yeah. You know, that she used to be like him, but this job has changed her. Yeah. Yeah. Great for sex issues. Yeah. And then a wee stinger as well, a wee after credit sequence. We'll keep that as... Uh... We'll leave that for now. Uh, yeah, just wonderful, wonderful book. It's, uh, again, at the store, it's one we've recommended a lot and one that people have jumped on. I know a lot of people are excited for the trade, which will be hitting, I believe, in early April. That's going to be a big one. Yeah, I would say Although so. Although, was it not was it not in last month's previous? I think it was an early solicit. And then ah, it was, yeah, I think, yeah. It, I think it's late March, early April. I'd have to certainly confirm the date. But uh, I think it'll read really, really well as a trade. What's easy to forget about it is is the whole story is essentially his first date. <laughs> <laughs> what a first date. That's you know. right. She's still sort of there she's at the end. She's still there. Yeah. There yeah. She was outside the outside the church. I think he does walk past her towards the end. Um, because she's the one that keeps the candle light while um, she... There you go. Up there. Yeah, he just sort of walks out to her and sort of goes, uh, thanks for your help, Rose. Gives her a wee <laughs> handshake and walks off. <laughs> Um, and then she says to the grandmother, it's like, oh, you did a number on him, you know? Oh, I know, I know. Give him time, he'll come around. So I think she'll be a returning character at some point, I would say, but the story certainly has come a long way from him spilling wine over her uh, on a clumsy first date, which I remember in issue one. So, uh, yeah, great book all the way through. Karen Gillan continues to be one of our, definitely one of our favourite writers. Uh, Another awesome boom title as well. So They kind of... I was kind of thinking they folklords and once in future kind of mirror each other. Yeah, like they're very modern books, but obviously about, about classic tales, not so modern things. Like they're funny, they're quippy, and they're teaching you about the history as well. Yeah, sort of thing, yeah. especially in once in future. Sort of, if not many people, not don't know about sort of Galahad and they should. Lancelot. Well, they should. King Arthur. The yeah, once, I mean the once in future king. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's interesting you say that as well, Roddy, because I actually read them back to back and I got a very similar vibe off the two of them. Uh, similar vibe of quality, if nothing else, as well. Uh, so that's our traditional boom roundup for the week uh, with Folklords and then Once in Future number six. So speaking of mythologies that we didn't know about, we move on to my pick of the week, which will surprise absolutely nobody. Yes, it is a Batman title. Uh, It is Batman Curse of the White Knight. This is book six. So this title, first of all, it had a lot to live up to because Sean Murphy himself had put it on Twitter saying that this was a book that he got to do something that he knows wouldn't be allowed in traditional DC continuity. And it was a big, big issue. Now, I sometimes take exception with comic book creators doing this because Donny Cates is one of the worst for it. Scott Schneider's one of the worst for it. Every issue is, this is the big one. This is the big one. You'll not believe how crazy this is. The issue that will change everything. Uh, the issue that will change everything. You'll never be the same after this. Uh, but what Murphy does in this was pretty damn great, actually. Uh, so I'm glad that it lived up to expectation. 
I think this is definitely the strongest issue of this series so far, yep. and that's saying something because you picked uh, Curse of the Night, Night number five, as your pick last month. Yep, and and I probably picked number four the month before that. Tell us this: was this on? Was this released? The same day as another Batman title. It was released the same day as three other Batman titles. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, the so. week it, the week it came out, Curse of the White Knight, uh, Batman eighty seven came out, Detective Comics ten nineteen I think came out, Batman Superman, and Batman Superman came wow. out. Wow, so. I think that's saying something. Yeah, but and I, they're all very different. I really love uh, Sean Murphy on Twitter. Um, he does I haven't read this i'm waiting for the trade but you know spoil away as you do but he does uh <laughs> directors he loves putting handcuffs on me before i review <laughs> anything doesn't he um no but I, like i've read it he does this great thing director's commentary on yeah. issues and they're fantastic i love them yeah, really really I, love them i retweeted that yeah. myself so even if you're not following him and you follow ah, us on twitter you'll yeah. you'll find that thread but yeah he does like a sort of 13 point um director's commentary uh, which is really, really interesting, I have to say, uh, because it, that commentary alone answered one of the big questions for me, because uh, I can't believe you told me I can't spoil stuff, Roddy. <laughs> new, new rule, if you're on the podcast, you're not allowed to trade weight. I think, uh, yeah, I think that's yeah. a great new rule. I will find all six issues for you tomorrow, Roddy. Okay. Uh, so no, the reason I say that is because <laughs> issue six has a cover with a very 90s era Azrael Batman at the top. But at the base, you have Bane and Batman fighting. Now, Bane had his head chopped off in issue five. So I was like, why is he on the cover? And Murphy actually put it on as part of his director's commentary. He said that A, it was a bit of misdirection, and B, he just really wanted to draw a Bane cover. <laughs> and I think he wields that kind of power at DC, where they're just like, yep, you do what you want. Um, so yeah, so this issue, issue six, uh, as Keith says, I, I agree. I think this is the strongest issue so far. I think that... Not that I was necessarily struggling with the Gotham history parts of it and everything to do with um, Bruce Wayne's sort of ancestors, but... It was starting to get a wee bit twisty. It was going on a bit too long for me, and I, I was thinking, you know, how is this related to the story? Uh, because, you know, for me, Murphy, he is a great storyteller. His visuals are definitely his biggest strength, but you do worry sometimes he's tying himself in a knot a wee bit. Uh, but... I have to admit the reveal was worth the wait and it actually justified the entire story uh, because the, this whole premise has been built upon Joker slash Jack knowing a secret about Gotham, about the Waynes that he finds absolutely hilarious but Bruce doesn't know about. But what it actually turns out to be is that, you know, Batman is like the ultimate crime fighter. He's, you know, he sees himself as a force for good in Gotham. He sees himself as standing up to all evil and corruption and he's incorruptible himself. But it turns out his ancestors who first came to Gotham and settled were criminals. Um, who he thought was his great-great-great-great-grandfather wasn't actually his great-great-great-great-grandfather. His, I'm going to continue saying it, great-great-great-great-grandfather was murdered by a criminal. And he then took on the mantle of Wayne and said, well, no one will know. Which and means, he, of course, Bruce Wayne in the Murphyverse isn't a Wayne at all. Isn't a Wayne at all, exactly. So it actually changes up his entire history. And that that's that's what I love about these Murphyverse books because they just play by their own rules. They This isn't going to change like the Wayne mythology in the main continuity. But, I mean, in this issue alone, you know, Harley shoots the Joker dead. You know, you're not going to see that in the mainline DC title. Uh, they're definitely leaning towards a Harley Bruce Wayne relationship as well, which again is something you would never see. Because the, the I'm only just realizing that that 
the Joker is wearing a Batman t-shirt the whole way through this. Yeah, like that little statue just there, just on my sideboard. What does he think? He's a Mr. Miracle or something? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the whole way through the issue as well, I was thinking there's... So the the interpretation of Harley in this universe is very, very different to um, the mainline country. There's two different Harleys. And in this one, the Joker has actually had twins... Uh, and the babies are very prevalent through this whole story. I was just waiting on something bad happening because Tom Keane jokes all the time. He made a joke about it. Mr. Miracle of Batman doesn't kill babies. So I thought Murphy was going to be like, oh, you want to see Batman kill a baby? Don't do that in my title. Uh, but yeah, just everything about this just screams quality. The art is phenomenal. The storytelling is excellent. Uh there's a little theory going around Twitter at the moment that the Joker's not actually dead because there's this extreme close-up of him and you see these sort of sharp fangs and you wonder if there's going to be something vampiric brought into this or something otherworldly. Well, I mean, the whole idea was that Laffy yeah. was a vampire. A vampire, exactly, uh, one of the first and, settlers. And uh, there definitely is a, an idea that, that, that Laffy, that, that the Joker, that Napier is a descendant of Laffy. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's interesting. You know, he takes a gunshot to the head. He doesn't take a stick to the heart. So, uh, But yeah, I, you know, we, when we were getting ready to record, we always like to try and make a list and be somewhat prepared anyway. We don't all like to wing it here. And uh, <laughs> Keith was asking me my pick and I said, oh, Curse the White Knight. And he went, that was your pick last month. And I thought about it for a little bit and looked at my other titles. And there was a lot of quality this week, but I just looked at one. I don't care. Nothing reached the quality of this for me. Um, and again, I go back to it. I could just look at Murphy's art all day. And that's one of the reasons they always revisit his books. So I think Curse of the White Knight has been every bit as good as White Knight um, in a different way. And I was really glad to sort of have the faith rewarded for um, the whole pirate old Gotham storyline. Because I must admit, I was I was teetering a little oh, bit. Oh, really? I remember you were... I was excited by you talking about it, like, and that was that was maybe in the first or second one. Yeah, it's just when it went on and on, and you sort of thought, "Is this just filler? Is this does uh-huh. he not have enough story to tell in the modern day?" This is an exclusive. This is the first time that Alan has admitted this uh, in the open. <laughs> no, it's not right. <laughs> That's not. Maybe it's the first time I've admitted it on tape. Uh, <laughs> no, I just. You know, because I remember with White Knight, for example, it was originally solicited to be six, then it became seven, then Curse White Knight became eight, and you just sort of wondered that was was the full story there to be told, or was it feeling a bit bloated, or, um, I mean, again, I could look at Murphy's art all day, and the old Gotham stuff is awesome looking, but I just kept looking at it going, is this really related that much to the modern day story, but, you know, all, all doubts have went out the window now. Um, two issues to go on this, and... Even for someone like yourself, Vicky, who doesn't really read a lot of Batman or an awful lot of DC in general, this Murphy stuff is so self-contained. You can literally just read this and never read another Batman thing again. Yeah, very well, different. I, well, I have read a couple of Batman titles lately. I read The Question. And That's not a Batman title. Sorry, not, I meant DC. <laughs> Shush. I mean, DC is Batman. Oh, yeah. <laughs> DC titles. All right, Spidey. You just sit over there. Because I've read The Question and um, Wonder Woman Dead Earth. Yeah, Wonder Woman Dead Earth, which has an appearance by a Batman skeleton. That's probably as close as we're getting <laughs> to you reading something with Batman. Uh, let me <laughs> just um, stick with my... I've got 10 this week, which are all indie and marble. Maybe yeah. you'll get me on 
I'm, I'm going to slip you a white knight. I'm going to put it beside your side of the bed. Given you're such a, on such a good reading binge at the moment, you're going to run out of stuff, which should never happen in this house. So I might just stick Batman well, beside your bed. You said you want me to read Harleen, so let me read that first. Oh, Harleen. Oh, well. And yeah. do you have the original comics of White Knight then? Yeah, trades there. Oh, Harleen will be your gateway drug oh, really? to DC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's just like smaller, not big runs of things. Mm. Well, that's why, as I say, White Knight's good, because it's not like you need to know 70 years of continuity, 80 years of continuity. To be honest, the thing that I would recommend if you wanted sort of further exposure to Murphy's world is actually Batman the Animated Series, because he bases a lot of stuff in this on his love of that show. Yeah, Um, very much so, yeah. yeah. Turned on its head for these these I mean, that's the whole thing about, as you were saying, about Harley in this. Mm -hmm. There was the, the Harley who was... There was Harley, and then the, the the original Harley in this was a Harley who was much more akin to the the Suicide Squad movie Harley. Yeah, uh, and then the original Harley appeared who was, was much very more much akin like to the the, yeah, the animated jester, universe, yeah. you know. And that's obviously where Harley was created. Uh, so it was that I thought that was a nice wee middle finger up to <laughs> Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, but no, yeah. As I say, I, I I have the trade there. You're more than welcome to read it at any time. Uh, well, let me get through my pull list this week, and then we'll see. Okay, you start reading now. Come okay. on. I, I see an opening here. You know, I'm, <laughs> I don't want to lose it, and I don't want to lose it. Uh, yeah, so I promise uh, this time in a month not to pick Curse of the White Knight 7. Uh, actually, no, I don't make any such uh, promise. <laughs> I think if you like something, you have to you have to commit to it, no matter, you, you know, if we talk about something every week, I think that's a good sign. And hopefully... Hopefully, listeners feel the same way because they're probably reading the same books as we are. You know. Well, yeah. I mean, so. White Knight is White Knight is our biggest pull of any yeah. company. Um, you know, and a lot of people get the cover A's and the cover B's. You know, it 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 seems to be one of those ones that rewards collectors and they want it all. Uh, it was the mm. same when the Fun Freeze came out, the one shot, which I think was another pick of the week at some point, but that <laughs> might have been yours, uh, if I remember. But uh, no, White Knight has been consistently one of our biggest if not the biggest pull in the store so i think it's a testament to murphy's quality um and maybe just me talking about it so much <laughs> probably adds to it as well uh so anyway yep that was uh, batman curse of the white knight number six so uh a wee dc from alan and a wee marvel from me uh, we're back to normal folks and one of dc's finest writers from alan and someone who's quickly becoming one of the best writers in comics for me um, so we've got uh, Guardians of the Galaxy 1 by Al Ewing, Juan Cabal uh, on, uh, on art, and Frederico Blee on, uh, on colors. Um, so it's been, what, like 12 months since uh, Guardians' last reboot? <laughs> exactly 12 yeah. months. It hasn't skipped um, a beat. Monthly title, issue 12 was a month ago. Brand new issue, brand one, new issue, brand new creative team, brand new, uh, brand new team team. Obviously, Donny Cates has uh, stepped to the side of Guardians and moved on to Thor. And Al Ewing has stepped to the side of uh, Valkyrie, Valkyrie, and moved on to Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, so, I mean, Al Ewing's obviously doing fantastic work on the Immortal Hulk. Uh, we talked a wee bit about his uh, Valkyrie uh, last week, uh, and so now he's on to Guardians of the Galaxy. So. Uh, yeah, it's real interesting. There's a there's a bit of Cree background here. The the uh, where the Utopia, um, I guess, colony of the of the Cree, which is a, a bit of a, uh, it seems to be led by by the supreme intelligence. It seems like a fairly idyllic 
place. There's a there's a war going on far away. They seem to be talking about new allies, possibly the Skrulls, the new Emperor. Possibly they're talking about Hulkling. It seems like they're maybe uh, they're maybe foreshadowing the the Empire event that is coming in Marvel. I yeah, think Empire uh, Scroll War, isn't it? Yeah, something along those lines. But very quickly, this uh, idyllic colony is wiped out um, by an individual who we later learn is the uh, the Olympian god, king of the gods, Zeus. Um, when I first saw that page, I was like, "Evil Thor." Yeah, whenever I first saw that, and it's interesting because on the first page, the first time he appears, he doesn't mention that he is uh, that he is Zeus. He doesn't mention that he is that that's Olympus behind him. Uh, you know, so I was kind of wondering, God, is this one of the guardians of the, or the sorry, the um, elders of the universe, or uh, or what is is going on here? So it's not until a wee bit later we find out it is Zeus, but. Um, We've got the Guardians after their last series. I mean, there was a lot going on. There was the whole uh, death of Rocket arc. Uh, you know, so Rocket was very, very ill. And uh, the the Guardians are um, Moondragon and Philavelle and Drax and Rocket and Groot and Star-Lord and Gamora appeared in it as well. So they're all back together. But um, whenever uh, Rich Rider, Nova, comes to... Uh, comes to find them and interrupt their vacation. They're having a great barbecue. Uh, I love how he just drops in. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Like, this guy. He's fantastic. like, hey, guys. <laughs> well, that's uh, what Nova does. Um, there's some, some great dialogue between the... We see how comfortable the Guardians are with each other. You know, uh, they're bantering, you know, and uh, I think you could sort of jump into this as a fan of the movies or as a, as a, as a fan of the Guardians or not really knowing anything about the that's Guardians. That's what I did. Yeah, so, I got um, that. I mean, I was reading Rocket and Bradley Cooper's voice mm-hmm. the whole time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And he does have that uh you know, that 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 speech bubble, that wavy speech bubble that does suggest he's got a wee bit of a growly tone. Uh, <laughs> you know. Um But yeah, so it's uh Rocket Rocket's come through a thing and he seems to be a relatively content uh content critter, um, raccoon like individual as he refers to himself. Um he sort of seems a wee bit chilled out. Um but anyway, uh uh, Rich Rider is there to tell them about the Olympian gods returning from Earth. Now, the last time we saw the Olympian gods, it was in Avengers No Road Home. No Road Home. Uh, which was also uh, Al, Ewing. Al Ewing and Jim Zub and Mark uh, Wade. Yeah, and a that. whole lot of folks. Um, it was the, the second of those Avengers. After No Surrender. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, those 12 issue or 10 issue That's sort maxi of series. Avengers events. Yeah, almost. so and it was whenever there was no ongoing Avengers book, wasn't that right? Uh, so the last time we saw them, I mean, obviously in the first one of those, Al Ewing introduced the Immortal Hulk. Immortal Hulk. In the last one, he wiped out the Olympian gods, and that was the last we saw them, the last we saw of uh, them and of Hercules. Uh, and now in this book, he's bringing back the Olympian gods, but they seem to be stuck in some sort of uh, cosmic death and rebirth cycle, and they've woken up cranky, as uh, as he says. Oh, you know, so, so he's here there to recruit the team, you know, to to help here. You know, they're. The last thing the Guardians did, they're referring to to Donny Cates series where they they fought a like a, a cosmic religious order who were there to try and convert everybody and steal everybody's souls. Um, but in this case, you know, Star Lord saying, "Well, these the last time round we fought a rogue religion. These guys don't look like they want to be worshipped. They're just they're just taking the taking tribute and blood from worshippers and using it to power their floating city of Olympus as it rotates in and out of dimensions and and that sort of thing. So he's there to re- assemble a team, but." Uh, 
a lot of them aren't really so keen, especially Gamora. Gamora, I don't know if Gamora is suffering from PTSD or, you know, after, you know, the whole thing with Thanos. Um, but she says, we're not a team, we're a family. Let us have that. You know, we're, we're chilling out here. We're, you know, we're not, you know, they aren't what they started out as. They were a suicide unit. That's not what they are now. They're, wink, wink. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're, they're, they're not a team, they're a family. So. I do oh, like sh- that quasi-sarcastic tone from Nova there where he's sort of like... Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you, know, you guys, you've done more than enough. You know, if anyone's earned a rest, it's you. And uh, I read that in a really sarcastic tone of, yeah. I didn't. I don't know if uh, Nova's capable of sarcasm right now because he seems to be going through a whole thing. Um, he's lost a lot of people. The Nova yeah. Corps is dead um, after uh, the last Guardians of the Galaxy thing. There's only him and Sam Alexander left, I think. He's lost. Uh, so Annihilation, was that? Yeah. yeah. yeah they, mentioned, they certainly mentioned that in the, another the ret- part of the book. Yeah, the Return of the Cancerverse and, and all of that sort of stuff. So he seems to be very, he seems to be a broken man. Um, so I don't know if that's the case. But anyway, the two originals, uh, Star-Lord and Rocket Raccoon, uh, they decide that they are you know, Star Lord gets up from gets up from bed with Gamora, and he's it, uh, doesn't take him long. Does no, it doesn't really. They they just thirst for adventure and the old days and and that you know. So and they talk about how you know Grit affected or not Grit, sorry, Raccoon Rocket Raccoon says you know sort of makes makes you the oldest friend I have left. You know and uh, yeah, so they have their own reasons for for heading out. You know and uh, they join the <laughs> team there. So. Moondragon and Phyla Vell have already left and gone with him and they've come up with, uh, with a, a Grant Morrison creation in the form of Marvel Boy. And he is such an arsehole. <laughs> you know? Come on, he's basically wearing bicycle shorts. <laughs> his, you know? his, uh, his introduction, you know, whenever they, they arrive at the, the Nova Corps HQ, my name is Novar, but since there's another Nova in the room, let's avoid confusion. Call me Marvel Boy. I'm a parallel universe Cree, allied with the Utopian faction. Actually, I founded that. I can walk on walls. My fingernails are an explosive compound. My saliva is a psychedelic drug. Thanks, Grant Morrison. Uh, I have total control of my body and mind. I carry my own laws of physics with me as a weapon. Pronouns are he slash him. That name again is Marvel Boy. Any questions? Peter's just like, I feel so old. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, they're a little worried that they're, uh, you know, this is where we we were revealed a wee bit more about. uh, I really like that art style there as he actually talked about his powers and stuff, the little circles with. Yeah. That's our boy, Juan Cabal, from Friendly Neighborhood. Friendly Neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we see a little bit of uh, of Nova's PTSD here and, you know, the fact that, you know, it, it's, it's got to be done. I think we, we really see he's struggling, you know. Um, you know, he, he he's worried that, you know, everything has fallen apart. You know, the Kree Civil War is in pause for now, but the Imperium won't say how ordered it. The Skrulls are detonating suns, sending out war fleets. There's a rumour that Shi'ar Royals are trying to replace Gladiator with some kid. Now, of all times, people call me a conspiracy theorist, but who benefits if the old rules fall, if the, the galactic society collapses? Because someone does, and they're going to win, Pete, and nobody cares. There's nobody left. It's us, or it's nobody. And Pete and Rocket just look at each other, and Pete just says, then it's, it's us. us. You know, so... Yeah, it's it turns out a wee bit of a heist book, you know, a heist on the uh, on the the Olympian city. You know, they set up a distraction while uh, Marvel Boy, Moon Dragon, uh, Star Lord, and um, and Rocket uh, sneak into the city and and uh, sort of I guess try and try and disable it. Uh, so it is a bit of a the last half of the book is a is a wee bit of a heist. It's just something the Guardians, of course, do very well. 
Um, I'll not go into the, the details of it, but there's some absolutely fantastic moments, some great action moments, some great character moments. Um, and uh, there's a bit of a, a bit of a surprise ending, um, you know, the reintroduction of a, of a character who maybe we were half expecting to turn up in this, given the, given the, uh, the, the previous, the, the featured no characters. Home. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, so yeah, uh, I think Al Ewing is taking Guardians of the Galaxy. He's, he's taken the first half of the issue to set up, you know, a semi new team, you know, uh, some of the old team from Donny Cates run, uh, some new members and, and, and Marvel boy. And, uh, and uh, even just Nova, yeah, well. Nova, uh, the other one, you know. So, so, but he's doing something new, and he's giving it a new feel and a new voice. So, uh, I'm definitely in on this. But definitely going to keep on it. Pick up issue two, um, and oh. I love how that Guardians of the Galaxy issue one is called. Then it's us. I, l- I like the fact that it's got Nova because there hasn't been a Nova book for a couple of years now, and I've got a couple of like sort of series of Nova in my collection, and I've gone back and I've got. The original volume one and two of yeah, Nova, um, yep. so which I still need to sit down and actually read the all the way through, but um, it's nice to see Nova back in. And this is this is Rich Rider Nova. This is the yeah. original Nova. So uh, that's that's the thing. Like, cause I know in the ones that were more recent, there was sort of a a wee kid that was Nova, but I I really did quite enjoy it. But I will eventually get back onto reading the original ones now. I'm catching up with all my pull lists yeah i think uh, i don't know if you've read this Vicky, but i think you'd yeah no i've read yeah i read it. it um i was just actually thinking back and uh it was that marvel uh big 96 page of the incoming incoming uh that sort of first had uh i guess there was a conversation between night thrasher and nova who seemed like very different characters but they were both on guardians of the Galaxy. they were both on sorry um uh new warriors uh so they have a, a relationship and i guess night thrasher was asking for a thing and he was on the phone to Nova, and Nova was not in a good way. So I think this is a continuing this idea of Nova's, I guess, uh, mental state, declining mental state, is kind of a as a result of the pressure he feels he's under. As uh, I think it's an interesting story in itself. Cool. Yeah, and again, it's it goes back to what we always say, and that is that uh, it's always good to follow creators as well as following characters. When I was, when I saw Donny Cates was leaving Guardians, I must admit it sort of stalled thinking do I really want another Guardians number one do I really want to get on this but Al Ewing is one of those names that you know give him absolutely tremendous stuff he's done with Hulk especially uh, and a few other titles that you know I wanted to jump on I got to read it just before the podcast started so yeah I really dug it as well uh, good moments of humour in it which I thought really lifted it and I think the second half of the book was a real showcase for Juan Cabal's art there's especially this big massive oh, the double, double page, page spread, spread yeah. of a big yeah. massive circle with all these layers and different things going on and different dialogue bubbles and all the rest I thought was wonderful so uh, yeah very very strong first issue uh, and that sold very very well in the store as well so yeah so that cool. brought uh, that is all of our picks of the week uh, what we will be doing is uh, just taking a quick break and then we'll be back with some honourable mentions. And we're back and chatting more comics. Uh, so we already did our picks of the week uh, for their release week in January the 22nd. Uh, so we're just going to throw a few honourable mentions out there as well. Um, I should say at this point, you know, if we sort of look at our pull list this week, I mean... 
I had 19 books plus a 1,300 page uh, magnum opus that I'm working my way through. Thanks for that, Keith. What's that? Well, you'll just have to listen to a future podcast for that. That would be the rather excellent thus far bone. You enjoying it? I am loving it. Um, yep, Vicky is rather enjoying sitting beside me as I read it and just every so often enjoying listening to me sniggering away to myself. Chuckling away to himself, <laughs> like, especially when we're sitting on the plane and I'm just like looking at him going... Listening to another music on my head, Lord of the Rings <laughs> music on my headphones. People yep. looking around me probably being, what's that weird person? But you're going to have to intersperse it with like Warner Brother theme tunes, cartoon theme tunes, you know, the, as I said, <laughs> it's true. a combination of Bugs Bunny. Having read what you've read, do you think that's a fairly accurate description? I think I must have said that about four times to Vicky over the weekend. I was like, I see where that you know comes from. On the drive home last night, you were just like, yeah, yeah, like Lord of the Rings. Yeah, you explained it to my dad as well. Yeah, I was trying to talk your dad into it and he was like, like there's pictures in it no no interest my, da- my dad's not really into picture books as he would call it he yeah. likes his <laughs> thick stories just of well writing. you know like, what he is the one missing out on this occasion well, um, he's missing out anyway and i guess that's something we were, we were sort of you tweeted it through the the store account over yeah. the weekend and i uh, replied to you and uh Jeff Smith liked our uh, liked the conversation. He the author of Bones, yeah. so that's always nice to see. I'll be in touch with him, and I'll be just saying to him, you know, you want to have have a chat about it. You're more than welcome anytime. Uh, yeah. So despite that, as I said, 19 books, and then I I've got started on Bone. I'm about 700 pages through it. Uh, I did look at the size of it and think, holy moly, this is going to take forever. And my first sitting, I read through 330 <laughs> pages. So <laughs> it keeps you turning the page. Um, mini well, title. Oh, sorry. Well, you had 19 books plus that. Well, I had seven well i had eight single issues because i had one from previous week so i had a i did a very good job i i had thursday off last week and i think i read through six or seven books last thursday with a cup of tea and it felt really good but then with us going home i made sure to pack a few books i I had issues one to four of vampire state building spoilers for one of my honorable mentions i haven't said anything other than the name (laughs) And then um, Undiscovered Country. And I also took one of Roddy's book club um, picks, um, Pride of Baghdad, which uh-huh. I read, um, I think, Saturday night. Um, Fantastic, I, 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 isn't it? It is. And I kept fi- trying to find a point where I could put it down and like pick it up for the next day. Nope. And I was like, ah, sod it. I'm just going to keep going because it was so good. And it just kept me wanting more. And the end of it was sad. Um, it wasn't quite Stephen level sad where I was sitting on, in the train crying, but uh-huh. it, I, Poor Stephen. Uh, I think I think we talked about it on the book club that there was uh, Brian K. Vaughan intentionally had no bricks in it. Yeah, that you're supposed to read it in one go as a graphic novel. Yeah, well, that said, it yeah. was an original graphic rather than sort of single issues being released. I mean, there is a thoroughly excellent podcast to listen to in that if you'd like to catch up on that. Vicky. That okay. was our um, yeah. book club of Prince of Baghdad. Prince of, Prince of Baghdad, not Prince of Baghdad. <laughs> Pride of Baghdad. Pride of Baghdad, yeah. You're thinking of Aladdin. <laughs> and then, Very boy. And then I also had a wonderful graphic novel called go by the name of Little Bird. And I was so annoyed when the plane landed because I wanted to finish it whilst <laughs> on the plane. I was just like, why does this have to land now? Why Why can't we just be on here for another 10? 15 pages to go or something yeah, like that. Yeah, I was so close near the end and I was just like, oh. The only person that ever wanted a flight to last longer. <laughs> I was, I really was, because I was really enjoying it, and and it was the art style on it is absolutely amazing as well. I rec- highly recommend it to anyone. You've read it, yeah, Roddy, haven't you? It's so. amazing. 
Ian Bertram's the artist. I would, I just gonna buy anything he does from now on. I really enjoyed House of Penance was the one he did before, and it's just magic, well, magical stuff. Like that's the thing. We had a variant done by him for something's cleaning the children. Oh really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, and it was that very so nice. positively jolly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Something is killing the children. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I recognised the artist straight away. I was like, that looks like so like Little Bird, and I was like, and then Whoa. Alan said. It's something's killing the children, but well, I think the fun part of that was you hadn't read any of something that's killing the children yet, and you saw his art style and went, oh, "Does he do this whole book?" I was like, "No, it's just a variant." Oh, <laughs> yeah. But then I got into it, and I and probably it is love an awesome it. book anyway. Um, so yes, so, so you had seven books. I had nineteen. Roddy, this week you had I had six and a graphic novel as well. Um, haven't got to the graphic novel yet, but it sounds really good. British British Ice, it's called. Um, oh yeah, Roddy, can I? Uh, can I <laughs> look at that? Once you're you can have a wee look at that. But you you have your homework already. I've set you the task. <laughs> well, yes, you have. We'll say no more about that. Yeah. <laughs> Other than to say that while Keith recommends happy, jolly, funny, endearing charming books to me Raleigh's went the opposite way <laughs> yeah that'll we'll get to that in the next we'll get to that. book club we'll get um, to that but yeah what about you Keith what did you have uh, I had 16 books this week um, so it was a it was a fairly averagey averagey sort of week for me um, it was kind of Marvel heavy uh, a lot of indie um, but uh, and 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 DC following up, following up the rear, uh, there this week, which is not always the case. I'm I might say, um, but yeah, uh, I think next week is a fairly massive week actually. Yeah, there's a had a lot of pull lists done today, so there's a bigger bigger week this week, I would say. So Roddy, what is your honourable mention, sir? Uh, for me, first up is something that it's almost a bit of a shame because I believe each issue has turned up in the honorable mentions every week um but this one we're talking about conan serpent war which was a four issue mini series and this one's the final one this is written by jim zub um there's a couple of different artists on it ig guara uh, frank darmada as colorist and then vanessa r del rey did really sparklingly gorgeous first couple of pages on it and then there's Another colorist, Jean-Francois Bewley, and VC, VC's Travis Lanham did a, does the lettering, which is really cool because it's got, it's almost like Times New Roman in it. But um, this book is really fantastic, and I think it would be, I think it's going to make a really nice trade. Um, so it's sort of, the premise is, it's sort of like a crossover, Marvel's, Maybe not even Marvel's strangest crossover. I'm sure they're stranger, but this is maybe Marvel's most daring crossover. I don't know. It's the one with the most Puritans. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so the the aforementioned Puritan is Solomon Kane. And we also have another creation of Robert E. Hard, Conan, and Dark Agnes. And yeah, they creation of Robert E. Hard. Yeah, and they tussle with, well, they join forces with Moon Knight. Um, definitely not a Robert E. Howard no, and uh, concoction what I really enjoyed about this is Jim Zub has gotten to create an elder god for the Conan universe in the Marvel universe I think called the Worm and there is a 
there is a mega splash page that needs to be seen to be believed. Uh, Worm with a Y? Worm with a Y, yep. Um, vibes of June right there, a little bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's There's, there's June-esque parts to it. Um, I really loved... There are different art styles. What I really loved in it, it, it meshes as well. Sometimes I'm a bit iffy and two different artists on the same book, but I think this worked really well. Um, just and I mean, the, the art styles are, are interesting because it takes place... The, the the team have been summoned together by this dude called James Allison, isn't that yeah, right? And yeah. he is a, an individual with the, the uh, magical ability to uh, see and understand his past lives, and his past lives have been all heroic past mm-hmm. lives across across time. And he's dying in, in uh, 1936 Texas, isn't that right? Cross Plains, Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he has been, uh, over the past three issues, encouraged by a, a voice to use his powers to assemble uh, a team across time. A time team? <laughs> uh, and uh, in order to... Time Avengers, that yeah, should have been it. In right. order to fight uh, the the serpent, the Set, the serpent god, mm-hmm. which of course is an Egyptian god, which connects us to Khonshu, the moon god, who Mark Spector, Moon Knight, is an avatar of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, yeah, can't say any more than that. Um. So, see the ending. Yes. Is there going to be more? The next. Uh, or is it going to tie in to the other Conan books? series coming yeah. up? The next Conan book is the Battle for the Serpent Crown. Mm-hmm. And uh, ah, you know, right, right, I think, right. I think. I mean, the Serpent Crown is a is a well known uh, Marvel uh, artifact. In fact, it last appeared in Invaders. Chip Invaders. Oh, uh, yes. If you remember, yeah. the uh, the serpent yeah. crown was used to remove uh, Roman's uh, psychic form from Namor's mind and become make that make that physical. So, but the serpent crown that we see at the end of Serpent Wars uh, is is white like the worm. Yes. So there's something so. going on there, maybe, uh, and that the individual that seems to be presenting it looks a wee bit like James Allison. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Jameis of Lemuria. Um. So, yeah. So it was just. I thought this was a great series, Roddy. Um. You know the the cross time pairing of Conan and Dark Agnes, and then the the cross time pairing of Solomon Kane and uh, <laughs> uh, and and um, Moon Knight uh, was fantastic. And variously they were at each other's throats. You know, obviously a Puritan teamed with someone who worships a pagan god, and uh, you know, a male chauvinist teamed with Dark Agnes. Um. <laughs> was kind of interesting um but yeah just this this is this is the real final act yeah i Uh, didn't even realize i was looking just doing a bit of research there and it came out on what would have been robert e hard's birthday last week so it was a nice nice bit of symbolism there yeah i was looking up uh, a tweet a tweet from jim zub so he certainly seemed to enjoy himself on this book surely did and you know the idea that um that conshu uh the moon god is in constant battle with the serpent god set you Mm -hmm. know and uh and uh, he then, you know, the the moon god then sort of absorbs the parasite because they realize that the the worm is the greater is the greater the enemy. Threats, you know, yeah. yeah. Um, you know how the the ser- the serpent and the worm battle across across the edges, across uh, not across the edges, but across all the different universes and all the different worlds and at balance. But the balance has shifted because of you know the worm's corrupting influence on James Allison and. All of that sort of stuff. It was a real, real great story. Yeah. You guys not 
been interested in any Conan stuff after not even after Keith, Jason, and Aaron loving. I've got seven years worth of Thor to read. Leave me alone. And then you'll get to <laughs> leave me alone. There'll be seven year, <laughs> seven years of Conan probably to read once you finish that. Um, I mean, I would. I, I'll look forward. I I do have an interest in Conan. I understand that certainly the first twelve issues, the Jason Aaron run, is going to be collected as one book. Mm-hmm. That would we highly might, interest me. We might get to that. Um, that would definitely interest me. So, uh, yeah, it's just not something. I'm I'm not the biggest swords and sorcery guy in the world. Um, I will certainly give anything a go. I read the first issue of Conan. I enjoyed it, but I didn't have quite the same level of love for it that you guys do. Um, but I'll certainly give it a go on trade because uh, you do consistently speak highly of it. So I mean, uh, I would say that I wouldn't have. I mean, I knew Conan as a character. I'd read, I'd read some books. I'd seen some movies. Um, but uh, certainly the the last sort of year or so of of Conan books has increased my interest only. But you again, I suppose I mean? part of that is, you know, the whole thing where we say follow creators. Obviously, with Jason Aaron writing Conan, yeah. you were happy to jump on it. He's a rubric for me. So you know, certainly the art. the art style, yeah. So it's it it goes back again, I suppose, to even characters who you're not usually maybe aren't on your radar as much if they're being written by someone whose work you trust and enjoy. Mm. Well, it's even like this. I don't really know. I know Jim Zub's been a big Marvel guy for Quite a while, maybe yeah, a paired up years with uh, Ewing on yeah. both of those Avengers maxi series that we, yeah. we talked about earlier. Someone I wasn't really familiar with until I read this, and gonna seek out some more stuff. Really enjoyed the ideas in it. What do you reckon on how they're using the Conan license? Do you think they're overdoing it? Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> Savage Sword <laughs> well, of Conan, Savage Avengers, he, Conan he Serpent War. He doesn't have how many X Men titles are there? That's, that's we'll so, get to that. That's the, yeah. that's, that's for the previous <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast. <laughs> If they've got it, they may as well go for yeah. it. I'm not on everything. Yeah. You don't need to be on everything. Yeah. It's that kind of thing. You pick and choose what you want. Mm. And I think. I mean, I think whenever this is a this wee mini series, this wee four issue mini series, sort of come out of nowhere, no expectation, using the Conan license. It's got Conan's name at the top of it, despite the fact that share all of the other characters share equal screen time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, if this is the and this was great. Yeah. So yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. I mean, by all accounts. I haven't read Savage Sword, but you've said it's been really good. Yeah, it's a and different I've, sort of a book from Conan, The yeah, Barbarian. And I've really enjoyed the the prose stories in the back yeah, of everything as I well. I really enjoyed know, the Solomon Cain one on the back of this. I haven't finished this one. Worth I it. need to need to finish that last one. We need to let it, these two so. just get a room here, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. We, yeah. We, we, we Conan loving. <laughs> Maybe they should have a podcast of their own, of Conan. Don't, oh, we're going to have... Don't give them ideas. <laughs> There's going to be a few... 80s corner transformers yeah. a clock <laughs> swords and sandals and swords and sorcery <laughs> swords we'll and dress sandals. up and everything yeah. you know swords. gi joe cast yeah, yeah. swords oh sorcery and cybertron so many ideas title. right in p.o box coffee and heroes what's your what's your favorite idea swords sorcery snake eyes and cybertron oh. <gasps> it's Boom. that's it's the happiest on. i've seen Rolly look all night <laughs> <laughs> anyway vicky honorable mention from yourself I'm going for Family Tree number three by Jeffrey Lemire. Huh? That rhymes. I do try. <laughs> so it's by Jeff Lemire. So <laughs> another another favorite of ours on this that was, podcast. That was terrible. For, you had a really good one earlier, but then that Which was just no. all over me tonight, Roddy. <laughs> not in a good way. Let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. Jeff Lemire is also writing the question that mm-hmm. I'm reading. Um, 
I know he's done a few others that I don't think I'm read. No, I took her Harley Criminal Sanities, doing Gideon Falls. Um, but um, he, he definitely seems most at home, I think, in the indie world. Mm, I'm reading Sentient at the moment. TKO. TKO. Yeah. TKO so. yeah. cool. It was fantastic. I think I mentioned for Family Tree as well for the artist, Phil Hester, as that's one of the strongest parts of this title. I'm reading this as well. As Phil Hester. Phil Hester, the main title I know him from is a Aftershock title. What was the name of it again? Oh, it's just a skate mirror now. Roddy's on the case, I think. Roddy is on the case, but I'm going to do it faster than him. <laughs> anyway, you, you continue on with Family Tree. Okay, <laughs> so um, Family Tree is obviously about a family. <laughs> and That'll be right up your street. Yeah, obviously. Family is obviously big to me, but uh, so not just my family as that I grew up with, but also the comic family that we have now got, and you guys are a part of that. But it's um, about this little girl that has got shipwreck. Sorry, <laughs> shipwreck was, was the name <laughs> of the aftershock title with <laughs> Warren Ellis. Anyway, <laughs> excited there, Alan. Um, so this girl has discovered that she's got branches growing on her. So instead of an arm, she's got a branch, and she's very confused at why. It's been steadily developing over the three issues. And they, she's finally met her grandfather which is of her dad's her dad's dad but she um her dad isn't in the story per se because is that because he's, he's in guardians of the galaxy <laughs> <laughs> i'm great wow <laughs> never know it could be linked but um it she has sort of a i'm not sure if it's a dream or a vision at the start of the book where she's trying she's going through this like tunnel but it's of trees like tree branches and then she comes she hears a voice and then she realizes who it is it's her dad so um and he sort of tells her like trying to explain why he had to leave because obviously he didn't have time at the when he did leave um should also say the grandfather as well is very much he seems to know what's going on with the fa- so the family the the mum and the other uh, I think it's her brother yeah um they have no idea what to make of this but they they are saved in one of the earlier issues by the grandfather uh, because obviously they live in this small town people look at this boy with you know or this girl sorry with branches coming out of her think they're a freak and are obviously doing their best to hunt them down but the grandfather comes and saves them. Uh, because he sort of knows more what's going on. Uh, he reminded me a little bit of the character out of the Middle West as well, the grandfather who yes. sort of knows a lot more. Um, but yeah, there's uh, it's a really quirky book, is what I would say. It certainly looks it, because it's one, it's one I sort of looked at, but I thought, you know what, maybe just wait for the trades. So. But hopefully I'll be able to catch up so we can talk about it a bit more in the future, along with a few other books. But I, I love the style in it. They even just kind of glancing over at the art there. I'm kind of like, oh. It's, it, like Alan says, it is quirky. And it's sort of, obviously, it says about like her arm is growing into a branch. But then her back is turning into like branches and sort of a tree almost. So her mom's quite sort of shocked by it. And then she goes into this conversation that she's having with her dad because she, she was with her mum and this lady who's trying to help her. But then it sort of, the speech bubble goes like squiggles. Mm-hmm. So as if... Not paying attention anymore. Yeah, and then she's back talking to her dad and then 
he's like leading her and trying to show her the way. And then she looks out and she's looking out of this big tree to the, and then all of a sudden she just sort of collapses. To be continued. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. just very, very quirky book. Um, Jeff Lemire is always known for writing these sort of slightly off the beaten track sort of ideas. Um, yeah. Obviously family tree in this case, great title, double meaning. Reminds me of, do you know, was it Sweet Tooth he mm-hmm. did? So he he always does these kind of like weird things have happened, but there's always like really great emotional drama I, to it. Very and emotional weight. elements yeah. to it as well. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm really digging family tree as well. It makes a really good... Um, a really good double read with uh, a title I will be mentioning a little bit more in detail later because I read those back to back as well. Cool. What do you got for us, Keith? Uh, for me, I think this will surprise no one. Uh, my first honourable mention is uh, Old Guard Force Multiplied number two by uh, Greg Rucka and uh, Leandro Fernandez. Minimal spoilers, please, as I have not read it yet. Okay. Uh, well, it, it's beautiful all the way through uh, from the <laughs> from the fantastic cover by Leandro Fernandez and Daniela Miwa. Uh, of uh, Niccolo and uh, Yusuf mm-hmm. and I actually hadn't realised how much Nicky how much taller Nicky was than yep. Joe <laughs> uh, un- until you see it on that on that front cover is uh, that the first face you've ever seen on the cover of them because I think it's uh, yeah I think it is the, oh, it seems it to it always, yeah, the neck or the chin yeah um, but yeah so you've got the you know uh, Yusuf was the Muslim warrior Niccolo Genoa was the uh um, he was the the, the Roman, the, the Italian warrior, um, and you can see that you know he's got the cross and everything in his chest. But he's a good head and shoulders mm-hmm. taller. Actually, I've never noticed that before. It's a lovely cover. Um, they're obviously the lovers uh, from the you know they 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 first met uh, during the, that battle three thousand years ago or whatever it was, and uh, you know they they fell in love after trying to kill each other again and again and <laughs> again and again and again and, uh, and realizing who they were. So. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot a lot going on in this second issue. Um, Niles has a has a contact in the FBI. Andy is getting a little worried that uh, Niles is getting that Niles getting too close to him. That you know even if she's using romance as a you know as a as a weapon as a way to get um, the information. And we, I mean we've seen at the start of the first book we saw Andy just sleeping right left right and center. But Andy's nearly like a like a mother to, to Niall mm-hmm. for the first time we see. You know, she says she's still a baby. She doesn't understand. It's a really interesting dynamic. It is. I, th- I think this 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 dynamic, as you say, this relationship between these two women, these two women warriors, uh, is, is is just really fantastic uh, how they, they look at each other. Uh, I mean, despite the fact that Niall is a, is a, is a grown, grown woman and a soldier. You Not know. to mention... Immortal, <laughs> immortal. But well, maybe you yeah. still need a mum when you're uh, immortal. But I, I mean, don't know. we we do know, of course, that <laughs> immortality doesn't well necessarily yeah. mean can't die, you know, or won't die. Um, there's some really interesting stuff going on with Booker, mm-hmm. um, you know, and uh, you know, to uh, to use the words of uh, of uh, Master Yoda, <laughs> there is another. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I mean it's it, it's just a great. Booker is the don't want to get too much into it, but Booker is the real key for me in this this second series to like tie it all together. Cause Ooh, we why do you say that? Because we didn't even we didn't know if he was gonna return in the first yeah, one. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was uh, exiled for he was, 100 years. Yeah, so I'm finding it really interesting. The only thing I would say is because I read the first one 
uh, you lent me the five issues to do to to the book club, which was another great podcast. Finding it month to month is quite it's quite hard. <laughs> so I'm like, give me more. I need to yeah, read it. Yeah, it's very very good. Uh, lovely. Uh, there's a great uh, another great Greg Rucka essay in the back. Yeah. Um, about the difference between uh, adapting a work from one medium to another and translating the same, and also. Uh, how you know Niall was a point of view character she was our eyes in the first book but now he, he feels it's his role to give her an actual an actual story to give her something to do you know uh, tell, you, her, tell you what due. that's one we missed The Old Guard it's going to be a film this year, this year or next year we never missed that we, we mentioned it on a certain uh, no 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 podcast. we met at the start of this podcast <laughs> we also mentioned so. when Greg Rucker wrote a large yeah. piece at the back of issue one mm-hmm. I'm just getting just my revenge on you, you know, keeping keeping everyone up to date <laughs> alright keep it civilised boys <laughs> uh, there's a fantastic sketch by Leonardo Leandro Fernandez at the back there um, yeah, it's, it's really lovely just a just a just a lovely a lovely sketch of a of a gate in the castle, just very very talented artist, very talented indeed. Um, so old guard force multiplied second book of what looks to be three books uh, of the old guard series. Five issues a piece. Uh, five issues a piece. Uh, if you're not getting it, you're missing it. That may seem obvious, but uh, you sh- you, what what I'm trying to say is you shouldn't be missing it. Uh, yeah, as I say, I just I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I. It's one of those books that is starting to gain a little bit of momentum, I think. I had a few people jump onto it when it came out last week, which unfortunately just meant I didn't have a copy for myself. So uh, I got copies ordered in this week, so I've got it in my uh, pull list this week. So I look forward to jumping into that. Enjoy. Uh, What have you got on? The first honourable mention for me is something, again, I won't go into a lot of detail. It was very close to being my pick of the week. Because it's a it's a small title, but I think this has been one of the best comics of the last six months to a year. Uh, it's called Vampire State Building. This was issue four, which also turned out to be the last issue, rather disappointingly. Um, Vampire State Building. I've I've pitched it before. It's Die Hard with Vampires. Uh, issue four has this great cover by Raphael Albuquerque himself, knowing a thing or two about vampires and comics. He is uh, Scott Snyder's artist on American Vampire. But yeah, this great uh, sort of point of view shot of the Empire State Building with this large claw coming over the top. I'm not going to go into too much detail on it because, again, it is the last issue of a four-issue mini and I don't want to ruin too much about it. The main thing you just need to know about it is there are a ton of vampires inside the Empire State Building. They are trying to get out. The police have cordoned off the entire building. I should say they're intelligent vampires. They're not just, you know, lusty, you know, bloodthirsty. Um, do they sparkle? They do not <laughs> sparkle um, <clears throat> at all. But It is a fantastic read. Like I said, I read all four issues on the way to England and I loved it. Just yeah. Couldn't, yeah. I just kept going with it. I just didn't want to put it down. And like Alan says, it could have been just carried on. But it was a great. I mean, they, they leave it open a wee tiny bit. They don't. Uh, if this was all there was, it's very satisfying. But they do leave it open a tiny bit. Awesome. I mean, one of the big draws for me was just seeing Charlie Adler's art in color because he's obviously spent the last 13, 14 years doing The Walking Dead in black and white. So, uh, but yeah, great wee series. Uh, there is a hardcover of it coming out soon. Highly, very highly recommend. Because that's um, from a, a, a blaze. blaze. So yeah. they're. 
interested might, to see what they do. Might next, be a know? little comically able to keep an eye out on. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of interesting things coming up. Uh, but yeah, Vampire State Building, as I say, I should have credited there as well. The two writers, Ange and Patrick Renault, and the artist as Charlie Adlard. So yeah, Vampire State Building number four. Uh, we have another number four. All right. Sticking with the kind of horror vibe, I am going for Joe Hill's Hill House comics. And we've got Joe Hill, Leo Max, and Dave Stewart. And this is Basket Full of Heads, number four. Um, Keith, <laughs> I had the book open just looking through it. And Keith Not was, a book I've been reading. <laughs> no, Keith was looking over at it and he was going, what is this? This looks really weird. Um, yeah, the... <laughs> Definitely it, the most humorous of the Hell yeah, House books. It, it toes the line really well between grotesque, but also deeply, deeply funny yeah. and very disturbing at the same time. Yeah, there's not, there's not much to say about it. In this one, it's the same as, what was it, Once in Future? I thought the previous three are quite heavy on the dialogue and the setup, but this one sort of featured a lot more grisly action yeah action and i, I want to say like it's hard for a comic to do it but i thought there was like not slapstick but there was a lot of like body humor mm-hmm. going on um was that body humor or body humor because that, <laughs> there's that, a key that, difference <laughs> that that uh that there's first a... page has some body humor yeah <laughs> But yeah, um, it's brilliant. We go, we get a bit of history about um, the the special acts too. Again, if you haven't read it, I think these these Hill House books are they're really interesting. Um, so there's seven, uh, there's, seven now or five? I can't remember. There's five mm-hmm. announced in total. Only four of them have been released so far. We're waiting on one called Plunge, which is set at sea. But yeah, they're all very different, which is really cool. This is very much the slapstick Evil Dead horror esque, mm-hmm. with Stephen King vibes too. Yeah. Small town. Yeah, really, really enjoying it. Um, I love Leo Max art's brilliant. Um, but yeah, just a great. Don't want to spoil anything on this one if you're still haven't read Sea Dogs though. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> I'm I'm saving it up. Uh, I draw the line at reading two pages and then having to read a whole other tale and then two pages. Yeah, I've been collecting all the Hill House stuff, so I will put it all together when it's there because all these series are going to be six issues long. Mm-hmm. Uh, basket full of heads, obviously four into the six so far. Uh, and then the other ones, Lolo Woods, Daphne Byrne, and Dollhouse Family. Yeah, so. but um, even I was thinking, if it's successful, they could do, they could do a second round, like a second yeah. wave oh, of absolutely. them, no problem. You, you, you know? could do an endless run of six issue miniseries just under this imprint, um, mm-hmm. just finding talented writers who are interested in horror. Because uh, again, they're all very different. They've covered everything from sci fi horror to slapstick horror to Victorian horror yeah. to you know all sorts. So. So is Joe Hill writing all of them? No, no so he's no. writing Basket Full of Heads and then it's different writers in, on all five of them. But I believe he writes the Sea Dogs. I well. think of it as Hickman doing the X-Men. So Hickman writes X-Men and occasionally New Mutants. Joe but Hill's the, he's curator. the showrunner. Yeah, yeah, the curator, okay. yeah. yeah that's, that's a fair way of putting it. But uh, yeah, it's essentially he. I think he's helping bring the talent in because it's obviously all published under his name as well as DC. 
So they're sort of, you know, he's saying like these guys are great writers and great artists. So, uh, okay. uh, yeah, but yeah, Baskerville has a lot of fun so far. Four issues, um, so far. How about yourself, Vicky? Another honorable mention there. That's so, a rather beautiful Mario Scalera variant cover. So I've gone from for American Jesus number two. Um, obviously, American Jesus number one was the um, Xmas project from Mark Miller. Um, so everyone sort of I know Alan was kind of disappointed at when it came out I'm used to Mark Miller disappointing me it's fine rude <laughs> I just wanted to see what reaction I got there <laughs> so this is this is the second issue of the second series of American Jesus is that yes. right so I lent you last week the volume one you did indeed and um, I haven't read it for a while so I I probably am going to reread it and then reread all the new ones Afterwards, just to sort of see how much they link up. I mean, it, it, it was the first one was pretty impressive. Was it originally released as as a as a two or three issues? Or was it originally released? I as think it was released as a book. As, as it was, it, as okay. It was, so um, yeah, it was. It was interesting. Uh, obviously, it's about a kid uh, from sort of the Middle West, modern day America, uh, who it turns out is the uh, the modern day uh, return of uh, apparently the Messiah. Yeah. Uh, there's a wee bit of a a lot goes on, and uh, you know it's you know how would how would society, especially in small town America, accept if if a kid from among them turned out to be Jeebus? Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, and obviously these a lot of these people are 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 God fearing folks, and probably know that you know the the whole legend is that is that Jesus will return, you know, and all of that yeah. good stuff. Um, but it's how in reality they would they would act. Uh, so yeah, and, the, and there's obviously a twist in the tail of that one. So yeah, it's, um, same with this one. Obviously, it's written by Mark Miller, and then it's got the art by Peter Gross. Um, so the art in it's quite good. As it's quite sort of on the first page, the sky is quite like penciled, like just sort of scraggly lines, kind of. Is that the same artist from the first book? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah, same it is. Yeah. Um, they, I think. On the last podcast, we said about this is the only book that Mark Miller is going to release this year. So it's obviously, I'm kind of sad about that because I was looking forward to hopefully getting more Magic Order, hopefully. But if this has to be the one for the year, then I'll go with it. <laughs> but the start of the first one, it's about this young girl um, that isn't feeling well. And her mum takes her to the doctor and she's become pregnant. So her mum and dad believe that she's had sex, but she she swears blind that she hasn't. So her and her boyfriend run away and they go to this place and they look after her and they she has the baby and they believe that the baby is the new messiah, but the baby is a girl. So it sort of takes in a different sort of way how um, they believe, but she doesn't believe it that it is her she thinks she's just an ordinary kid and like she's in this compound bit sort of like looks a wee bit culty a bit what culty Cult- yeah um and she believes like that the people are brainwashed her parents and that she thinks that she isn't the one that is going to take everybody to the new like the new messiah but then they're doing these drills and she actually runs away towards the end. And then 
sort of on the end pages because she rings her parents to let her know, let them know that she is safe, but she won't be coming home. But then there's two guys that have been recording everything, and they realise that um, she is who. That guy in the cowboy hat that looks familiar from the first series. Yeah. So, like I said, I, I want to reread the first series. Like Alan, you haven't read um, any of it, have you? No, so it's one of Mark Miller's work that I just haven't read for one. Uh, haven't read, sorry, for one reason or another. So, I'll jump on it at some point. I'm sure. Uh, again, I've always said with Mark Miller, I, I, when he gets it right, he is fantastic. But I don't think every story just hits the right note for me. But uh, no, I'll give it a go at some point. I am sure. Have yourself, Keith. Another one. Next honourable mention from me is coming from Boom again. We're back to Boom. Um, so uh, we're looking at uh, the 13th issue of Greg Pak's Firefly series. Uh, and <laughs> it's it's going really well. We're, we're starting off a, another uh, another arc. So uh, we've, we've gone through the first uh, year of the book with uh, Dan McDaden art. And now we're on, uh, we've got Lalit Kumar Sharma, who is... Uh, an artist from uh, Delhi uh, has worked for all of the. He's worked for the big two. He's worked for Boom. He's worked for IDW. He's worked for Graphic India. Um, he's worked for a, a whole wreck of uh, everybody going really. Uh, and the way this this sort of picks up after, I think we talked a wee bit about the outlaw Ma Reynolds, Reynolds the one yeah. shot. So this picks up after that. So uh, for those of you who who know a little bit of uh, of uh, Firefly uh, history and uh, who we're talking about. Malcolm Reynolds, the captain of Serenity and veteran of the Unification War, has uh, just successfully prevented a second all-out war between the Alliance and the Browncoats. But in order to save his crew, Mal turns himself into the Alliance. In a turn of events that uh, has Mal questioning literally everything about the natural order of things, he's not only not arrested, but he's given a partner, former bounty hunter Boss Moon, and sent to a sector sorely in need of law and order. Sheriff Reynolds just uh, trips off the tongue, don't it? <coughs> So uh, this is the start of a of, of a an arc that has Mal as a sheriff, which is completely the opposite to <laughs> to Mal's nature. Um, but uh, Mal is the sort of sheriff who uh, isn't just about the letter of the law; he's about the spirit of the law. So you know, uh, he's about the little guy. He's about you know he he's, he doesn't stray too far from his his principles. You know, one of the one of the problems that Mal always had is as the captain of Serenity was, he's very much a Robin Hood sort of a character. You know, the the hero of the downtrodden, um, or big damn hero as the case may be. And, uh, you know, a bit of a Robin Hood sort of a character, and he's the same as a sheriff. You know, he's, he arrives in this, uh, uh, this moon of uh, the planet Aphrodite, Sturgis, and he's, he's uh, beaten up the mayor because the mayor has been, uh, I guess, blackmailing a lot of the people in the town. Uh, the next thing he does is effectively go to the jail and find out why everybody's in jail. Stealing a chicken, okay, you're free to go. Uh, public drunkenness, okay, you're free to go. <laughs> you know, and so he's, uh, you know, he's. Uh, the mayor says, "I know all about you, Malcolm Reynolds. You got no business wearing that star. And when whoever hired you figures that out, you're going to get yours." And Mal says, "You may be right, Mayor, but all I know is that whatever side of the law I happen to be on." I'm going to do my job, you know. So uh, this obviously puts Mal against his original crew. Uh, they're playing a wee bit with the, the Firefly mythos here. They're introducing new characters, Boss Moon. Uh, there's a there's um, a character who Zoe and Wash are off doing their own thing and, uh, and Kaylee and um, 
and the the team from Firefly they've picked up uh, another another character so they're they're playing a wee bit with the with the original with the original team and Mal it looks like he's you know they're they're out uh, doing crime and uh, Mal as the sheriff seems to be hunting them down but of course that's not the case at all you know Mal's catching them and you know letting them keep like ten percent of everything they steal while he gives back the rest you know so they're they're quickly becoming rich uh, Mal sort of settles in we you know we see a little bit of of Anara, um, you know, and, and Mal now as a sheriff, he can he can attend these balls that uh, that that Anara as the the diplomat can always attend, you know. But uh, he quickly becomes embroiled in, in what looks like a murder investigation, um, and uh, it's it just it sort of goes from there. And then, you know, Mal has has started to to get this life, understanding the good that he's doing for people, and that's about the time he knows it can't last forever. He knows eventually they're going to have to disappear. Again, you know, he's going to have to rejoin his crew. They're going to have to disappear, and there's that, there's that conflict there. But uh, this, that really, what I'm really loving about this now, certainly at this at this issue. I mean, the first couple of arcs were fairly standardish Firefly adventures, which it was nice to see. But it seems with issue thirteen, he's he seems to just he set the stage. Greg Pack has set the stage, and he's ready to to expand and grow the mythos of Firefly uh, and do it in a way that still. Uh, is is faithful to Joss Whedon's original, uh, you know, idea for Firefly. And I mean, it's just great. It's a great, great, great mythos and a great TV series. If you've never seen it, and there's no, there's no, seems to be talk heating up of uh, of uh, picking it back up again as a as a TV show. So uh, fingers crossed for that. Well, one day Vic and I will get round to watching Firefly. You don't know what you're missing. We we do yeah. have that little <laughs> hole in our geekdom that we have just never actually watched it, and then lamented its demise for the last decade <laughs> we do have a lot to watch though so we do but we'll get to it one day uh yeah so that was firefly number 13 from boom uh another indie title just something else i really enjoyed this week again was very close to being pick of the week for me and possibly may have been it's just a case of i know that for example roddy's reading this in trades and you know i know we joke about it a little bit about not spoiling things for each other but this is a book that really deserves to be discovered on its own uh so this is middle west this is number 14 uh scotty young on writing duties jorge corona on art um i'll not go into too much detail on it because as i say i don't really want to spoil it but this is just a title that has always been awesome and imaginative and interesting and unique but what i like about this issue is this is the first issue where you start to see abel really grow as a character um you know, something happens. He's essentially, he's the equivalent of a slave right now. He is out in the picking fields, you know, picking what seems to be this energy source for, you know, wealthy old men, essentially. Uh, these are, He's one of the grunts now. But this is the first time that you're starting to see him actually take control and take charge. Uh, you know, there's an accident happens during the picking. Everyone else just stands around and sort of watches what happens. But Abel's the one sort of saying, like, why is no one helping him? He's going to die, etc., etc. And what's cool about it is he sort of starts to descend into his sort of weather alter ego, I suppose you would call it. But he actually manages to control it and saves the person on his own. Um, but uh, in saving the person, it sort of endears him to those above him and they invite him to join and this kind of stuff. But, yeah, it's the first one where you're starting to see a little bit of a plan. You also see him as very diplomatic with some of the other guys who are becoming his friends now. Um, he's, starting to, he's starting to emerge as a wee bit of a leader. Yeah, very much um, so. Very and much so. Uh, this is the first time we're starting to learn a little more about Mr. Raider, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the the guy who owns Raider Farms, the guy who owns the the is it Ethan? There's the the, the chemical. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, it's uh, that the fuel, yeah. So set a light, wasn't it? Because um, if it gets broken, it just if it's exposed to air, yeah, the atmosphere, yeah, it combusts. Uh, so yeah, we're finding a little bit about a little bit about him, and there's the there's the whole thing about fathers and sons here, and uh, you know, parents and and children uh, throughout the whole thing. Um, so there's yeah, there's a lot uh, a lot going on, uh, in in what has just consistently been a fantastic. A fantastic book by uh, Scotty Young and uh, Jorge Corona. Yeah, I mean, one of the cool things about it as well is although you see this guy as the bad guy, so to speak, and he is the one that's, you know, essentially enslaving these children to do what they're doing, you know, there's a great speech he gives where Abel goes to speak to him and uh, Abel's saying, like, I'm nothing like you. You know, he's essentially calling him the bad guy and his re- reply is, you know, I know what you see me as. Before you write me off as another big bad villain in your story, ask yourself, where would you and all these kids be if not here? Every one of you was out there running, lost, alone. Now you're here with roofs over your head, foot in your bellies, and learning what it means to work for all of that. So it's it it's always I I say that it's always a good villain if they're the hero of their own story, and he's looking at what he's doing as heroic, essentially. Yeah. Um. So it's just great multi layered characters in this. Uh, the art style is consistently. You know, interesting. Uh, I mean, that first page alone. You know, big splash page, sort of showing the fields, and these almost sort of steampunky ships above it. Uh, yeah, just thoroughly brilliant title. Never disappoints. But I feel like we're getting to the real meat of the story now. Uh, and we yep. still to see Abel's father come back into it sometime soon. You just know that's going to be good. Mm. So yeah, that for me was one of the, definitely one of the best of the week. Middle West fourteen. Roddy. Yeah. Let's finish it off with one more round of books. One more round. So let's talk about The Amazing Spider-Man, number 38. I believe last last week or so, I think I said, oh, yeah, really looking forward to Amazing Spider-Man 38. Um, Ryan Otley's back. back. He's he's here for good. And then I was like, oh, right. Um, So we've got... He did do a cover on this. He did, yeah, and it's <laughs> no, he didn't. Not, yeah. <laughs> it says that he did a cover on this. <laughs> so there's a few mistakes in it, shall we say, Alan? <laughs> I did find it interesting that it says on the inside, it says cover by Ran Otley, and on the front cover, for a start, I recognise Patrick Gleason's artwork, but it also says in big letters to Spidey's to the left of Spidey's knee, Gleason. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, not not Marvel's finest star there, but there you go. And also, the dice are wrong. The dice are but wrong as well. But you know. we think, could they be rigged from your man's? What do you call? What do you call the guy? Um, chance. Chance. I really hope yeah. you're right, and that was intentional. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, like again, I don't know if these Spidey books could slow down if they wanted to. It's a, it's just not a really fast paced, really exciting issue. This one is sort of core. This one, we're taking a step back from villainy stuff. Um, so Spider-Man and Jane Joma Jameson can have quite a lot of banter in this one. Um, there's a lot of send-up of modern media in this, which I quite enjoyed. So <laughs> it's fantastic. And, the, and threats and menaces, <laughs> yeah. T&M. Uh, yeah. Um, Nora, who... Uh, uh, Nora Winters, who appeared again last issue, uh, has offered effect. Or Nora Roberts, sorry, not Nora Winters, Nora Roberts, 
uh, appeared last issue, has offered uh, her former boss, JJ, a job with threats and menaces, which, of course, is an online clickbaity sort of a, you know, <laughs> like like all the crap social media sites that just pump like, out 10 best this and, you know, you should fear this and you know, all of this, <laughs> you know, and she thinks JJ, I mean, JJ is just not in his element in this Google-like place, you know, where everything's coloured and has, you know, you're allowed to bring your dog to work and all of that. Everybody has hot desks and coffee and... Caramel macchiatos. Caramel macchiatos. <laughs> and JJ is just, he's an old newspaper man. It's just, it's not his, not his vibe There's a lot all. of fun in this one. There is. And that's, <laughs> yeah, there is. That's what, that's what's so great about these books. Some, like, um, you had your run on Hunted. Very serious. A lot of intense moments. And same with 2099. But then you get these issues, which are, like, obviously it's going to go wrong at some point for Peter Parker on Spider-Man, but that old Parker luck. Yeah, I'm just I'm just enjoying the fun of them, you know. And it's even got... great in this having just Jay Jonah defending Spidey as he's caught on camera yeah. <laughs> robbing a bank, and he's just like, "Damn it, for years this is what I wanted." <laughs> well, this is their new relationship, you know. Yeah. That and I mean, again, hunted Nick Spencer. This Nick Spencer, he's a, he's a real flexible writer, and at one point he sends up uh, Secret Empire. Yeah, you know, yes. you won't believe the shocking proof that Captain America is still Hydra, and you know, <laughs> the other, you know, and JJ's going wonders if you if you had actual evidence of of something like that, you know, that would be you know, yeah, so um, yeah, you know, it's it, you know, and so JJ is looking for evidence. Uh, you know, and then you see Machine Smith, you know, he's going, you know, ah, I knew it, retweet, retweet, you know, in the background. And you see Bucky and he's like, you guys are big jerks. Typing <laughs> Cap is a hero. <laughs> you know, so. Great. Anyway. Still standing up for his buddy. Cycles like that for a day or two. That's all, that's all news is. Um, that's what they say in the book anyway. Um, so yeah, there's, there's really uh, Silver Sables, Still seems to be a part of it. She's on a rehab mission, enjoying that. So that's obviously going to go somewhere. Then we have a bit of uh, a bit of a battle with Chance and a couple of others. And so this one, I actually really love the way Quello draws Spider-Man. It's it is oddly esque, yeah, but it's fun. The bug eyes, I love the bug eyes. But there's loads of fluidity and like really nice movement to it. And uh, even JJ gets in in the action towards the end. It's brilliant. Some, scooter, no less. There's some real deep cuts in here, you know, and uh, Spencer's really been doing that. You know, last issue with Sin Eater and this issue, I mean, we've got the Foreigner again. Uh, mm-hmm. But Chance hasn't appeared in a long time. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and then uh, in the background of his casino, the palace, we've got uh, Speed Demon. He's, uh, he's uh, dealing cards at, at super fast speeds and uh, we got uh, Mole Man and uh, Red Ghost and Batrock. There's Mister Sinister as well, I believe, and Modok. So there's a lot of really uh, the tiny Pharaoh. Um, a lot of real deep cuts when it comes to villains. Um, but yeah, um, the house wins. But uh, towards the end, obviously, you know it's all gonna go wrong when Spider-Man's like feels good, right? <laughs> So it's all going to go wrong. I love the la- there was last one last wee dig. And it's like Spider-Man just saved us all from from a shield cover up. Here's why. <laughs> JJ is using the power of threats and menaces yeah. to <laughs> thinking he saves the day. So he's uh, trying to yeah, 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 JJ trying to save 
Spider-Man's name is possibly like one of the most brilliant ideas I've ever seen in a Marvel yeah, comic. Yeah, very, very good. But um, yeah, that's that's it for me. Really enjoyed this one. Uh, I think we'll get back to sort of business in a in a couple of issues, maybe even the next issue. But what's, what's happening with Kindred? Yes, mm-hmm. but whoever um, that maybe. Even just taking a wee detour now and then, it's no bad thing to just really enjoy like the character of Spider-Man and all the relationships around him, which make make up for like an amazing series. And this is almost to 40 issues now so can't wait to see where it goes and maybe even have Otley back on a on an oh, issue sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but uh, even saying that there is some consistency issues with it but it never feels like the book is suffering for it sometimes you do go uh, maybe need a few I mean it's not like there's a m- there, there are stylistic similarities between Otley, Gleason, and Quello. Yeah. So it's not yeah. like the the difference is ever jarring. And even the ultimate Spider-Man step-in artist, uh, Humberto Ramos, as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They, they do have very similar styles. They draw Spidey in quite a similar way, I suppose. So I know what you mean. It never feels jarring, certainly on a single-issue basis. I'm, I don't know how much you would notice in a trade, but their styles mm-hmm. do seem quite similar. Uh, so I don't think there's too much of an issue there. Just make sure they credit the right artist in the uh, on the covers. <laughs> So yeah, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 38. Uh, that's it from Roddy. One more from yourself, Vicky. Yeah, so I've gone for Woven Heart number four. It's um, by a publisher, um, Mad Cave. So it's a, just another indie one that um, I've gone for. Um, it's written by Mark London. Um, the artist's name you're going to have. Alejandro Geraldo. Um, Probably so butchered that myself, so... <laughs> You've probably done a lot better job than I could. So this is issue four of seven. Um, so basically it's just about, um, I'd say, vampires. And it's pretty good fun. So the we previously on, on the cover page, is um, with the shocking shock of being trapped in an alternative version of the future still fresh in his mind, Sterling told Sabrina... Everything about his last days with Kels- um, sorry, um, Kesha. Kesha and his first adventure with Van Helsing. Just as Sterling finished, finished his story, Kel- uh, Kelsa spoke up for the first time since Sterling's arrival and uttered one simple word. Bengal. Bengal. So um, it's... It's not, not, not too many spoilers here because I still haven't read it. I know, that's why <laughs> I'm just sort of... It was four days over in England, you know, and that one large volume of bone hampered some of my reading. Uh, Wolven Heart, it is, it's a lot of fun. It basically includes everything from Van Helsing to vampire hunters to time travellers to... Um, it's got the Victoria, was Queen Victoria, and she was in the last issue as well. Um, but I'm not going to say much more than that, but it is just good fun and... It hops around all over the place. It is one of those ones, as you say, it is from such a small label that this is something I think will go under a lot of people's radars. Uh, but if yeah. you just... It, it's just... There, there's quite a manga-esque quality to it as well. It reminds me of something like Vampire Hunter D or something like that. Mm. Um, so very stylish. Uh, really cool art on it. And sort of a twist on a few sort of classic stories and classic um, 
classic heroes of the Victorian and steampunky age. Mm. Cool art, cool. really cool. Yeah, art. they're doing good. I read Show's End, so I'm excited to get to get on that actually when it finishes. Uh, seven issues is more than they've done for any title so far as well. I think they've mostly been yeah, focusing on four and five, five issues. Yeah. Um, I think I just I saw the number one of it and I just said to you that let's just try something different and mm-hmm. and I'm glad I did because it is something just like f- it's a bit fun. And I thought it was just a case if you saw the cover and went, "Can I have that new Wolverine issue, please?" <laughs> 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 Okay, time for some rule breaking. Give us one more, Keith. One more. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm going to be a little cheeky and give you two more. <laughs> uh, two number sixes, uh, both of the uh, X Men Dawn of X um, corner. Uh, so, uh, and the reason I I, I I couldn't really divide them up is because these two books are really hitting their stride, sort of around number five and number six. Uh, the Excalibur and Marauders Excalibur by uh, Tina Howard and Marcus Toe uh, on art. Uh, Excalibur's covering the magic corner of the mutant verse uh, here. So uh, some great stuff going on. Betsy Braddock holds the title of Captain Britain. Uh, she and her team must now, they defend Britain and all of Earth from mystical threats. So they're the, as I say, the magic corner. Uh, like the evil sorceress uh, Morgan Le Fay, who is laying siege to Otherworld, attempting to claim it for her own uh, she's already possessed the original Captain Britain, uh, Betsy's twin brother Brian, and when Excalibur team managed to hold off a wave of monsters and complete a ritual to access Otherworld, it came at great cost as a recently reawakened rogue drained Apocalypse of his life force. In the first page, we see Apocalypse being reborn on Krakoa, as is the way with mutants. So, uh, so the book features Apocalypse, Jimmy Braddock, who is the third, Bra- the other Braddock brother, Morgan Le Fay, Captain Britain in the form of Betsy. Shogo, who is Jubilee's son, who also turns into a dragon in other words. Uh, Gambit and Rogue, who I often forget, are married now, uh, after that Mr. and Mrs. X title. Uh, Richter, who is the Earth-controlling new mutant, who is now, uh, in the last couple of issues, has really found his feet, uh, realising that he is in fact a member of the Druid clan with their oneness of Earth, and he's adopted a whole new look. And Brian Braddock, who currently is under control of uh, Morgana Le Fay uh, as as a Dark Knight. So... There's some real um, sword and sorcery, uh, all-out uh, magical superhero-y action on Otherworld, um, you know, at the very, very start, and uh, all a hold uh, sort of a distraction in order that they can try and win back Brian Braddock, uh, you know, there's a whole story here, the art is just fantastic, uh, the uh, Jamie Braddock, who is uh, mad uh, and also controls reality, uh, he ends up being placed by Apocalypse as the king of Otherworld. Apocalypse has plans within plans, as is always the way with Apocalypse. Um, and uh, you see, we, we, we do eventually win, win Brian back to his to his right mind. Some nice scenes of, uh, of Rogue and, and Gambit together. Uh, Rogue had sort of absorbed Apocalypse's powers and was all blue-faced, you know, and, 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 and liney the way Apocalypse is, but she didn't really do anything with them. Uh, we see momentarily there was a bit of shame in Brian. He's he's lost the amulet of Captain Britain. That was the the choice he made between the amulet and the sword to become Captain Britain. We see him momentarily in his original seventies Captain Britain costume, and uh, things seem to be going well for Apocalypse as he's uh, he's doing an autopsy on uh, Morgan Le, Morgana Le Fay. Um, I've actually you know the the the, the Krakoan language. Uh, uh-huh. So I've ended yeah. up. You remember the the translation card we got with one of the first issues of the uh, 
so I've, I've put it in my phone like a total nerd <laughs> and uh, have started sort of occasionally translating these wee things. <laughs> so uh, there's some great messages in the grimoire of Apocalypse, uh, so secret messages to be translated. Uh, so yeah, the, uh, the, the Excalibur's a great book. Marauders, Mutant Pirates, anybody? Mutant Pirates? All of us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so... Uh, the the Marauders are the are that that uh, sea born side of the of the the X Men. They're they're the ones who are uh, delivering the mutant drugs to uh, through the black market and are also rescuing mutants from those those nations that are not in line with what Krakoa wants to do. So there's a lot going on there. Um, they're mad report the minute. Um, the, there's the reveal of a, of a new organization called the Hominus Verandi, a mysterious new organization that means to tear down the new edge of mutantdom. Uh, Kate Pride and her uh, crew sealed the Marauder to Madripoor in the hope of rescuing Shinobi Shaw and the refugee mutants in his care and were intercepted by the hitmonger and the executioner in the name of uh, Hominus Verandi. Pyro, Iceman, Kate Pride, Lockheed Bishop, Shinobi Shaw, Storm and Sebastian Shaw. All star again. We got another lovely shipborne battle here. Uh, some bits and pieces going on in the background. A lot of mutants using their powers in, uh, in interesting and exciting ways. Um, Kate, Kitty Pride, uh, Shadow Cat is the only mutant who can't use the portals to get to Krakoa. So that's why she's traveling a lot in a ship and uh, why she spends a lot of time, uh, you know, off site. Um, but uh, but a wee, uh, wee bit of a shock ending here at the end. Uh, Shinobi Shaw. Uh, reveals his his or not Shinobi Shaw, sorry Sebastian Shaw, his father reveals his uh, his true plans and uh, and it looks like uh, our Kate is gonna come a cropper and uh, I mean I guess the question is is if Kate Pride is the only mutant who can't use the portals is she also the only mutant who maybe can't be resurrected by the five uh, so mm. lot going on in Marauders it's it's staying up there as as one of my favorite of the of the X books, uh, sometimes on par with X Force there. So, uh, so thank you very much for your patience and allowing me to take two <laughs> X books there. That Alan, was just that was just one go. big book. Let's be honest. <laughs> I mean, Dawn of X itself is just one big book. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, I just I love the the fact that these titles are really starting to to define their signature. You know, what part of the the, the mutant landscape landscape they belong on? Yeah, great word. Yeah. So yeah. Cool. Uh, so yeah, so that was uh, both Marauders and Excalibur, both number sixes. Uh, I'm just going to throw in uh, one last one to finish with because, you know, it wouldn't be a podcast without me chatting about Batman again. Batman 87, uh, Tinian is uh, continuing his uh, his run on the character. Uh, overall, I enjoyed this issue. I... I must admit, and I mean, I know this all comes down to me, again, just being a Tom Keane fanboy, but it almost feels slightly less like an event every time there's a Batman issue now, as opposed to before. Um, I do also find it a little strange that we're only two issues into a brand new run, and we're on a different artist by issue two of the new run. Uh, Amazing so Spider-Man syndrome, that. Well, I mean, they they set it all up as once Tom Kane's run came to an end, it was like, here's your new team. It's James Tenney on, on scripts, and it's Tony Daniel on art. Well, the second issue is Guillaume March on art, and Tony Daniel they, doing a cover. Did they not say they were doing, they were just kind of going to not bide their time until issue 90 or something? Was that not it? What no? I think has actually happened uh, is, and I may have talked about this before, but... When Keane was doing Batman and it was fortnightly, 
for retailers and for DC uh, itself, you know, Batman equals money. You know, so every two weeks, like even retailers are relying on a new issue of Batman every two weeks. So Tom King delivered that for three and a half years. And then the idea, from what I understand, was going to be you're going to have this Bat book. Then two weeks after that, you'd have Batcat. Then two weeks later, you'd be back to Batman. Then two weeks later, you'd have Batcat. So you still have two Bat books. You'd still have your two Bat books a month. But because <clears throat> something we found out certainly when Clay came over and did the Q&A, he thought with Batcat it was going to be something really special. So rather than him doing eight issues and having fill in artists so that the book shipped on time, they wanted to delay the book so that he could draw all 12 issues. That left DC in a bit of a quandary because they suddenly didn't have two Bat books a month. So they need to keep shipping, they double shipping keep, Batman. Exactly. So that's obviously why they've done it with the artist. So I would imagine with issue 88, you'll have Tony Daniel back. Then issue 89 will be Game March. Then issue right. 90. Now, their art styles are relatively similar. So it's not massively jarring. But I just thought for this big epic relaunch of Batman, two issues in that have two different artists is a bit, a bit weird. But uh, it's, it's solid fair. It's not amazing stuff again i go back i like the long form storytelling of batman this to me feels a bit more sort of sort of for lack of a better term sort of monster of the week storytelling uh and i think tinian's a better writer than this uh i mean there's one point in it for example this new villain that gets introduced cheshire actually jumps on top of batman he's on a bat luge Oh, the bat shot. I, I love the bat shot. That was class. <laughs> About loses, but Batman 66 for me. Uh, but he actually he actually holds her up and a truck crashes into her at full speed. And she's fine. Well, he, uh, well, he nips below the truck on the bat luge. Exactly. And, you know, like she gets absolutely smashed, but she's still alive and talking and laughing and being like, you don't know our real plan. Does she have some sort of enhanced stamina? Well... Body there, armor? There's the possibility of that, but there's also the fact that she says he uses bat nail polish remover. This, again, is a bit Batman 66 for my liking in a quite a dark book. Like, don't get me wrong, I, I do find some interesting elements here. I like what they're doing with the Penguin. I like what they're doing with Riddler. Riddler just looks like a crazed madman at the start. He's prancing around in the nip. Well, he says he hasn't slept for three weeks. And he's actually, you know, his spine is protruding and he, he looks like a sick man. He's a wee bit Christian Bale in The Machinist. A little bit, yeah, a little bit. Uh, so, no, there is good stuff in here, but I, I have to admit, I don't look forward to the the main Batman title as much as I look forward now to White Knight. Or I look forward to, you know, even Batman Superman to a degree, which I think is a very solid title that we, we never mentioned. But... Uh, no, it's it's still good stuff, but it's just for me, it's not at the height it was before. But again, that's probably my Tom Keane fanboyness coming out. I let let me use it as a comparison, and this is something I don't know whether Keith will agree with or not. But with Thor, I would say there's not been a drop in quality. It's just went in a different direction. I think there's been a drop in quality in this book, but then again, that's not you know, the universal opinion. There were plenty of people didn't like Tom Kane's run or what he did. But for me, there's been a drop in quality. Whereas with Thor, I just think it's went in a different direction rather than a drop in quality. I think there's sense. there's a lightness about it now because there, there, there's not the weight of uh, 85 issues yeah. of story. One to, large story. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm enjoying that, but I do see what you mean. I think, I, I just hate the, I hate that element of greed that, you know, Lads, if if you can't keep up the quality and keep the artist on it, stop double shit, double shit in the book yeah. for, you know what I mean. I make it higher quality, yeah, exactly, but do it once a month. exactly. You know what I mean. So, 
so there there is a, of course an element of greed there an element of you know so yeah. the the money is leading which means there's like a course correction almost to the book like a, but i suppose they are with thor it did just yeah come to an end and then he went again you know donny kitts um went again so whereas this there's a bit of you're just trying to keep the ship afloat not that it needs to be kept afloat but they're sort of trying to get things moving in their own direction kind of thing well what i would say as well is there's more than enough bat books that they could have just jiggled the release schedule around a wee tiny bit made this monthly like detective surely could have done some big events in there weekly it's essentially (laughs) weekly because detectives one week and batman's the next yeah then detective Uh, but when you factor in curse of the white knight you factor in the black label stuff and you factor in batman superman and you factor in batman versus raz al ghul and you factor in uh, batman's grave pardon me there's more than enough titles you don't need to double ship this just to keep just for the sake of it yeah you know if yeah. the story's not there or the art's not ready or whatever just stick to your plan don't don't mess it around you know we, we've had enough of that in the last couple of years with dc <laughs> and their course correcting and their shipping schedules and all the rest so yeah don't don't do it with your yeah. Well, at least one of your title characters. I mean, let's be honest. I could write Batman, and it would probably still sell. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's not go too far because Rob Liefeld once said that about Scott Snyder's Batman run that it was nothing special. It was just anyone could write Batman that would sell. But you know that court, that Court of Owls run alone was just because that that's what I mean. This is nowhere near that level for me. But I want it to be every time. You know, if that makes sense. So yeah, um, that will bring an end to our honourable mentions. We'll just finish off very quickly with a quick round of what are we looking forward to this week roddy me well we tied tied into it earlier um jason aaron uh is gonna finish off his final issue of thor not thor oh <laughs> too tired conan i did that last week too. did you because <laughs> we were talking about thor was i think like, we yeah, were talking about dan slot's uh yeah. tony stark thor was that yeah it? <laughs> tony stark thor man <laughs> Conan. Conan the Barbarian yeah, 12. Number 12. Um, yeah, been really enjoying it. So looking forward to seeing how it all comes together. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, definitely. And what, what were your other two? You're allowed three picks. My other two were Protector, number one, which is a new series from Image. Um, I think it was written by Simon Roy, mm-hmm. who's his novelist. Um, that's going to be... I think when I was reading the blurb, it is the kind of book that i think i wanted undiscovered country to be not to bang in this drum again <laughs> but um it mentions mad max the expanse and something else so it's about a future america i think it ties a lot of native american in- influences into it a dystopian post-apocalyptic america Interesting. so hopefully it takes itself very seriously i mean i know probably three <laughs> months ago we saw that in previews and i went that sounds awesome, but it feels like it's the first time I'm hearing about this. Yeah, I know it's yeah, not. yeah. Sometimes I have that feeling too. <laughs> <laughs> and what was my other one? Pins with a K. Philadelphia number three. I got to yeah. say, whenever I was writing the script, I have absolutely butchered the spelling of that title. <laughs> uh, you're, you're not too bad with but it. Yeah, oh, so wait, no, the more I look at it, yep, you do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, really enjoying that. Really enjoying that's their mix. Brilliant. Of, yeah, uh, really good vampires and the wire you know um yeah brilliant um should called it yeah. vampire this is why you should be yeah. writing comics <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe you're you're on to something we're with this writing batman here 
we're getting, the, we're, we're getting a lot of talk tonight of something meets vampires. It's yeah. Die Hard meets vampires. <laughs> the Wire meets vampires. What else can we work into that? What it's just you? a lot of vampires. There, yeah, there are. Well, they are eternal. This is true. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, I did watch episode three of Dracula. I'm with you, Roddy. BBC Dracula. It's, it's not for me. Yeah, it's <laughs> not for me either. But like, I can appreciate that it's really well made and acted and really good but no just not for me anyway Peggy. (laughs) (laughs) on that note um i've gone for something's killing the children say again something's killing the children (laughs) i know i sound a bit too excited for it but i sound positively happy (laughs) that something is killing the number five number five yeah it's just it's just fun like i know it shouldn't be fun because it's twisted but i read a couple of pages earlier and what, what, what do you mean you read <gasps> a couple of pages earlier of the previews oh, very <laughs> <good>. <laughs> that very is good. a really good save <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's just something that's i i think we all are reading it aren't we around yeah. the table and great escapism yeah the it, continuing it, adventures of erica slaughter and her angel in an octopus <laughs> <laughs> and then i've gone for jessica jones blind spot issue two because i i really like the first issue because obviously not read is it weekly no fortnightly Fortnightly. yeah i I was like did we talk about that last week See, the reason (laughs) for jessica jones blind spot what what some people might have missed is this was an original graphic novel two years ago yeah and they're now serialized Ah, in the single issues so because all of the materials there they're releasing it fortnightly is it the same creative team or they It's, it's the exact same book it's the same book they just chopped it up I think they might have added a couple of extra scenes here and there sort of thing. But um, that's that's it. But it is essentially the same basic story. But, yeah, ah. so I just... I probably loved the first one and it's nice to read a, about a character that I'm not too familiar with. With Obviously, watching the, the TV show, I sort of wanted to sort of learn a bit more of the history by the book. So The last issue was class. It was very good. And I've been trying to tell people to get on it like I did say to Stephen, have you read it? It's like, no, he tried to tell me that he's got too much on his pull list already. I was like, talk to Steve, uh, talk to um, Tommy McNulty and Keith, and then you'll have too many. <laughs> like I was pulling out, <laughs> I was doing Tommy's um, pull list earlier, and I just kept pulling these titles out. I was like, Stephen, you could be worse. This could be your title <laughs> this week. I think Tommy's got about, I think, 20 this week, I think. And so, yeah, it's, it's a big week. And then I've... My last pick is Quantum and Woody. It's um, by Valiant. It's based on a story that we read a good couple yeah, of years Quant- ago. Yeah, Quantum and Woody are a couple of characters in the Valiant universe. It's uh, two half-brothers. Uh, one is all very serious and sort of a, a government agent and the other one is just like your traditional layabout likes to sort of coast through life but uh, they like, get embroiled in this experiment like Keith and I you know which which way around is that which way around is that Roddy you know I'll leave on. it up for the uh, listeners to decide <laughs> but yeah they end up getting imbued with superpowers but the, uh, the thing is they can't stand each other and uh, they get imbued with these superpowers but the only way that they won't die is if they sort of touch these bracelets together every 24 hours. So they need to be close to each other all the time. So it's almost like a buddy cop movie type thing. Um, cool. I think fun. we'll uh, we'll be talking a lot about Valiant coming up, I would say. He said mysteriously. 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Roddy's all about the mystery tonight. <laughs> uh, what about yourself, Keith? What you uh, got? So, last god uh, number four is out tomorrow. Uh, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, that Philip Kennedy Johnson uh, high octane fantasy high concept fantasy epic uh, set in two different time periods 30 years apart following two different groups of well two related groups of heroes uh, and the, the, the back matter and the history and the songs and the maps and all the good stuff about that and I understand there's a source book coming out which is definitely definitely not intended for me definitely not put it in my pull list um <laughs> So last God four Ravencroft number one Frank Thierry we've been uh, we've been enjoying to a greater or lesser extent the three issues of Ruins of Ravencroft that came out certainly the first was did did notice nobody had Dracula on their honourable mentions no we only focus on the well, positives uh, in this podcast. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Roddy needs to go to bed soon. <laughs> <laughs> what and the slightly delayed X Men five. Uh, is coming out as well. Yeah, I found out why that got delayed um, because obviously all the other X titles are at six. Uh, I believe it's to do with Lionel Yu, but it's not his art that was slowing things up. His inker died. Oh, oh dear. Uh, so okay. that put a little bit of a um, a full stop to the title for for a little while. Okay, so right. uh, understandable enough. But uh, what yeah, are we on? A lot of people looking forward to X Men Five, including myself. Um, three that really stick out for me this week, uh, the aforementioned Thor, thought issue one was one of the best issue ones, well, I was going to say of the year, but you know, it's only a month old, but the first issue was fantastic, um, and it has already become the second most pulled Marvel title in store. Beautiful. Uh, after another Donny Cates one, which is Venom. Uh, I'm looking forward to Detective Comics Annual number three, uh, I'm just going to show you all a very quick, because of course this is an audio medium but just look at that cover by steve rude just absolutely incredible beautiful painted cover and it's all about dealing with bruce's grief in the aftermath of alfred die Lovely. uh the batman annuals i think have been very very strong for the last year or two and i i would be remiss of me not to mention the return the triumphant return of sex criminals Number 26, Chip Zdarsky, Matt Fraction. This is the start of their final arc. I believe they're going to take it to 30 issues. Uh, Matt Fraction's writing that and Zdarsky's and an Zdarsky's art. the artist. You never really think about an artist anymore, do you? No, you don't. I mean, uh, I got his uh, his newsletter through just before we started recording this podcast. And uh, I highly recommend it. But uh, This podcast or his newsletter? I would recommend both. <laughs> uh, hopefully, if you're two and a half hours into this podcast, you, you like us as well. But uh, he puts it as Newsletter 21, holy shit, it's back. Uh, so he says, sure, whatever, Chip, what's back? Um, Sex Criminals 26 is out this week. This is it, our final storyline. Matt and I have been cooking this one up for a while now and are super jazzed to have it out in the world in your sticky, stinky hands. It's been so long, a lo- It's been so long. in fact, a lot of people don't even know that on top of being a mediocre writer, I'm also a substandard illustrator. Here's a special pulse-pounding sneak preview. And it's one one panel from the book where two characters talk, and it's literally, you want to take off? You just got here. Don't you want to eat? Wow! Also, <laughs> holy shit, there's this. Jason Latour is on the official list, the 37th bad boy of comics, so you know this is going to be something special. These secret triple X covers are my favorite part of release day, seeing people's reactions to artists' unfiltered filth. God bless Jason Latour. <laughs> so... Uh, 
Yeah, I really, really look forward to that. I, I'm a big, big fan of Sex Criminals. And if you haven't read it, uh, trades are always in store. Just great stuff. Yes, what I've read has been fantastic. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, other lots of other great stuff as well, but we like to try and limit it to, to just the three. Keith's probably going to try and sneak a fourth in. No. No, that's me done. I'm all done. <laughs> oh, I already snuck me a fourth in. <laughs> there is but uh no that's gonna do it for us this week uh just covering the reviews on the 22nd of january looking forward to the new comic book day of 29th mm. ladies and gentlemen it's been a pleasure thank you very much see Good you night. soon keep on winging it <laughs> Good night. Night. this podcast is brought to you by coffee and heroes a comic book and coffee shop in smithfield market belfast you can find us on all the usual social media outlets at Coffee Heroes One on Twitter, at Coffee and Heroes on Instagram, and just search Coffee and Heroes on Facebook. This podcast is also produced in association with Fracture Press, an independent comic label also based in Belfast. You can find Fracture Press on all major social media platforms. If you do like what we do, please rate and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and most importantly, spread the word. <laughs>